0: If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms.
1: On March 29th, I released my new book, Urgency. It is a book of spirituality. It will deal with some of the topics that we are talking about here tonight, and more than a book it is an experiment that will set you free, unless, of course, it doesn't work or you're already free. Nevertheless, Amazon.com, March 29th, urgency. My second book. I urge you to pick it up. <laughs> topia, in spite of what you were about to hear, Jeff Ritzman isn't actually on this show. Hi, Jeff.
2: Hi. How are you?
1: Wow, my God. Wait, you are here.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm actually stuck in traffic in a very, very bad storm uh, at the time of the interview.
1: Oh, well, that's all right. You wouldn't have liked it anyway. No? <laughs> I don't know. I think you would have been lost.
2: <laughs> really?
0: I, uh...
1: Oh, well
2: that that makes me sound so unintelligent.
1: <laughs> no, no. It's just not your uh area of I don't want to interest. say expertise, but yeah, I guess interest, because yeah. it's not really an expertise, but uh it's not something that sings to you.
2: Oh really? Okay. <laughs> I don't know, is it? Well you would you would know. I mean, you know what I'm into and what I'm not, so
1: it ain't Iron Maiden.
2: <laughs> oh well, what is?
1: <laughs> True. Uh but before we get to our guest, Mr. Richard Miller, um what uh, what do you want to talk about? Any, anything in particular?
2: Um, Since uh, you're no. not on the
1: show, we might as well throw it over to you, right?
2: Yeah, throw it over to me. Thanks, Jer. <laughs> uh, just walked in the door and the power just came on 10 minutes ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm ready to talk. Uh, I got nothing.
1: Good. I will see you during the after chat.
2: Great. I look forward to that.
1: In the meantime... Here's my interview with Richard Miller.
2: (laughs) I love you.
1: (laughs) Paratopia. Normally you're used to hearing me and Jeff, but uh, as weather would have it, he is rained out at the moment. But he gave me the go-ahead to do this interview anyway. So if anyone is familiar with the old culture of contact days, this will be just like that. In any event, uh, my guest tonight is Richard Miller. Uh, He runs a website called NeverNotHere.com. Um, he has a TV show through there, um, and he deals in all things, spiritual shenanigans. Um, and I, as most of you know, I've been wanting to do a show about this for quite some time. So who better than a man who interviews people around the world about, uh, their own sense of spirituality. Um, so without further ado, Richard, thank you very much for braving the weather and uh, coming on the show.
3: Thank you, Jeremy.
1: So I guess before we really get into any of the deep questions, um, why don't you tell us about yourself and and sort of how you got into doing a TV show about spirituality?
3: I never had a a goal or a vision. Uh, I never had a real desire to even put myself on a stage or speak publicly. And uh, I was just a normal guy trying to have a job and trying to make money. And uh, I got interested in video because... I thought that I could uh, have a a sales presentation on a video and put it up on the web somewhere on YouTube and and email people a link. And then that way maybe I could show my superior products. And I just got involved in investigating video for that reason, a very mundane reason. And uh, along the line of trying to know more about video, I heard about something called Public Access TV TV. And I don't think I had much interest in that either. So when I tell you that I don't have much interest, I'm just trying to tell you that, in a way, I didn't really have a vision or a preconception of of, uh, being a presenter or anything like that. I just kind of followed, uh, I don't know, a dumb path, I guess, just stumbling. Uh, It's like uh, this public access was so close to my house, I had to walk over there and check it out, you know. And then I saw a show on the Cubs, and, uh, the ball team in Chicago. And, uh, and I thought, well, that's cool enough. So I signed up and, and before the year was out, it took a long time. And I had totally forgotten about it, actually. Before the year was out, they came back and said, well, we're giving another class and, you know, you're, you're on the waiting list. So would you like to come? And first I thought, oh, I don't have any time. I could never do it. And some little spark inside of me said, just, you better do it, you know? (laughs) not even thinking that I would ever use it or ever, I don't know what, I don't know. I, I really don't know, you know. And then even after I got certified, months went by and, and when I would talk to someone just out of like, what are we going to do? What should we do? Well, you know, I can make a TV show. <laughs> and uh, so we made a couple, uh, you know, it takes some organization because you have to contact your old class members. That's the only ones you know. And, you get them to come down and be the crew cameraman and a mixer person and stuff like that. And so we put a couple of shows together. I put the name Never Not Here with it uh, right away. The next, We talked about life and what makes it work. And we and we played a clip or two of some spiritual teachers. And the next month, some some other guy was coming to Chicago that talked about the same thing. So I called him up and said, do you want to be on TV? And uh, so we made a show with him. And then it was kind of like a miracle. A uh, month later... Uh, they gave us a slot. A slot means like a permanent day to have a show, you know, and our show was going to be an hour because we thought you can't really even warm up on spirituality and sound bits or sound bites and, uh, you know, in half an hour, so we made an hour show. And uh, I guess it was very rare to get an hour because uh, half hours pop up now and again, but two half hours back to back, somehow they told us that we were really lucky. Immediately we had a show and then immediately uh, it was like I... I was uh, destined to produce, uh, it wasn't that heavy, it's like monthly, you know, they ask for monthly, they figure uh, you're just an amateur and you're just going to, not, you know, you can repeat one show four times is what I'm saying, and right. I started making, I, right off I think we made more than 12 in a year, we pro- and at the rhythm we do now, it's like 26 so that we play we I turn in four shows and then they play one, two, three, four, and then the next month one, two, three, four, and if there's a five in there somewhere, I just let them repeat the one third uh, the the first one three times.
1: Well, let me ask you um you know we, we we'd been talking privately about uh sort of what your background is with spiritual spiritual uh topics, and you had mentioned that um you had had two gurus, one of them was osho. Uh, Correct. You, right. didn't, you didn't name who the other one was. Is the other one someone we would know? Just curious.
3: I don't know if you know him. He's he's uh, he's alive and uh, uh, he was active in uh, in the U.S. He was a, another yogi, another Indian with a beard. You know, he's uh, maybe that's why I kind of went with him, because somehow he reminded me of Osho or I don't really know. And they call him Sadhguru. His name is uh, Jagi Vasudev so that doesn't really mean anything sadguru does you know sadguru is just a a term that means the inner guru or the true true guru or the true teacher and so i mean i mean all the gurus in india are swami ji or something like that they put you know they take this right. they don't really say i'm Clyde, or something like that, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jonathan Guru. Uh,
3: yeah.
1: Well, so as far as Osho goes, uh, now he's pretty famous for living an opulent lifestyle and uh, t- talking about sexuality and, and eventually getting into scandals, correct? I mean, did you?
3: Well, sexuality he he, he uh, uh, did talk about, and uh, scandals happened around him, and we could pin it on him or not. I, I doubt it. I think he was kind of retired at the time, not retired like, uh, you know, on. Pension or anything like that, but withdrawn. Let's say you know, Uh because he was into silent periods and stuff like that. And uh, well, that's always a a quiz of what happened there. But I mean, so uh,
1: is your your experience that he really was the real deal? He he had uh, some sort of handle on spirituality and and wasn't just you know some fly by night. I don't know con artist or something along those lines.
3: Well, uh, you know, the real deal. It's something you, you don't know. In other words, like we all have experiences, right? And we can kind of say what they are. And uh, sometimes some of us have an experience that we can't say what we, what it is. What the heck was that? And uh, so then we name that one a spiritual experience, right? And definitely he could uh, be in, in, in a room that was full of energy that people couldn't explain in, in any kind of normal ways. And so then you would call that some kind of an extra experience, right? Extra outside of the...
1: An energy that
3: you would see? No, well, you could see it in people. It moves in people, right? It could move in yourself, too, as a silence or as a deep feeling or as like a welling up of emotions and tears. Tears are are not so much sadness. Tears are like an overflowing. You know, something is too big and it just kind of just comes out, you know. (laughs) And uh, what did I want to say about him? You know, one thing that he's really well known for is being kind of like sarcastic. And I think a lot of people, uh, you know, he was very eloquent and uh, and he was kind of like uh, there was no, no, no holds barred, really. So that he would tell it like it is about religions, about politics, about world events, about famous people. And uh, a lot of people thought, yeah, yeah, tell, tell it, tell it like it is, you know, hit those guys. <laughs> They've been hypocrites for too long. That kind of a thing, you know, and why he was doing that, I don't know. You know, it was just to break our concepts or otherwise maybe just to get a lot of publicity. It worked both ways.
1: Um, you had said that some people have uh, indescribable experiences, and that's actually one thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, well, first, have you had an indescribable experience, and why do you think it's indescribable if you have? What makes an indescribable experience indescribable?
3: I wouldn't go around claiming indescribable experiences, you know, I, uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know if, maybe I deny them, and uh, people get in the grips of them, because uh, how do they get in the grips of them? When you have something that really feels clear, really feels energetic, like you don't feel tired anymore, you don't, you know, you feel like dancing, or uh, when you really uh, feel happy. And you don't have very many sad days or bad days or you're not jumping on your neighbor or you don't get mad at anyone. I mean, you're thinking that's something that must be good, you know, and it must be people define it as who I really am. You know, because so many teachings and so many religions say there's something fundamentally good about humanity and about life. And so then you want that to come back or stay around a long time and somehow that that can cause a great suffering when it when it doesn't stay around.
1: Mhm. You know, people talk about oneness or non-duality and and that sort of thing um as an experience and often that's the indescribable experience. Um in your dealings with people in in interviewing them and talking with them for your show uh around the world, um do you see a commonality to it? Are they all describing you know, when they do try to describe the indescribable, are they basically describing the same event? In other words, is there a universal uh, experience of that that everyone has when they tap into whatever this higher energy source is, or is it different for every person?
3: I think there's a great similarity about it and how that's expressed is, okay, let's just look at it this way. Like, what do I know about myself? And I've got a lot of thoughts about myself and a lot of memories about myself. And I've got a whole laundry list of things I've done and things I wasn't, uh, was good at and things I wasn't good at and where I succeeded with people and where I failed with people as far as having a good relationship. And uh, my whole self, okay, I could say I'm the guy, I'm this body that's sitting in this chair and I feel it, that's true. But so much of my identity is wrapped up in uh, thoughts about myself and mem- memories about myself, let's say. And each of those memories is an image that has mm, a meaning, a time frame. I can remember a felt sensation or it has a feeling to it, like when I was young and carefree or something like this. Or when I was in the army and under, <laughs> it felt like I was in under uh, lock and key, you know, and I felt constrained. And uh, all those things, all those... Mental images and emotions that go with them are a kind of a baggage that we're carrying around. And people, when they talk about enlightenment or somehow awakening, they're saying that, that those images have kind of dissolved or, or become way, way thinner. That somehow they've seen that those images have n- no life in them, they're old. And they don't really consciously discard them or anything, but somehow they just are seen in their own true perspective, which is like a memory. It's only a memory. That's not what's here. And so then the commonality of enlightenment or awakening is that I'm not here anymore. They're the I'm the I that I thought I was, which is the, the, the grand sum and total and average of all these of all this laundry list of uh what I did and and who I was with and where I came from and, and what my dreams were and what my fears were, all those things kind of, uh, evaporate or disappear. And so then in a way it's hard to say what's left or it's hard to, uh, frame it without a, a reference point. And that's the kind of the indescribability of it that you, I don't know if I'm clear or not.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering if they if there's not even um you know the thing that I experienced was uh i mean a, something that felt like a slit opening up in my back at the base of the spine uh sort of a blissful energy coursing through my entire backside from head to toe, and then my sense of awareness uh slipping out through the slit with the energy, and then there's a moment or however long that is <laughs> of nothingness uh then there's a spark, and from this spark boom, uh the universe, and it's this i amness you know it's I am the universe, I am these things, you know, I am the nothingness, I am the all, and it's almost you know you have all of these perspectives at the same time of like the, this macro and this micro, so it's like you're seeing planets and you're seeing debris and you're you know you're seeing the wind and the trees and I am the wind and I am the trees, and I am that debris it's all this i amness. Uh, happening at the same time, all of these perspectives at the same time, and I'm just wondering, is that a universal thing? I mean, do people talk about something like that happening to them? This sort of even more.
3: Well, there could be an energy personal? for sure. There could be an energy. Uh, I, I've never really had a, a great rushes of energy, and uh, you know, even if planets are coming and going, there, I don't know. I mean, would you take when that happened to you? Did you take the, that as a real vision that these planets are real? Well, was you just take it as a vision?
1: It wasn't a vision. It was, it was an immersion that I am these things. It was an identity. It was as if – it would be as if all of a sudden every object in the room uh, you could see from its point of view as spirit playing through itself. You know, playing – this sort of one spirit playing through the objects that it also is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it would be like – and also you in your own head because once it went from nothingness to the all – uh, I was back in my head and afraid I'm dying. <laughs> you know, like what is this?
3: That's a little bit much. Huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So it's almost like you go from this localized state in your own head into this non-local all state, and one of those localities in the non-local all state is right back in your head again. Uh, so I don't, it, it was interesting, and I'm just wondering. You know, I haven't done a whole lot of study on it, and I'm wondering if if other people that you've interviewed uh, talk about a similar type of experience, not as a vision, but as uh, a total self-immersion into this fractured
3: everything. I think that's totally possible and happens many times and is certainly not universal. In other words, I think that uh, it's an experience that happens and then stops happening and uh, in many degrees and it's just uh, an experience kind of like a, uh, i think triggered by um somehow noticing that all all of what i thought i was are just a pile of thoughts that are centered around past past mem- memories Yeah, well, that's
1: definitely, you know, as I told you, uh, reading Judo Krishnamurti, you know, was – I think I told you this. I'm not sure if I did. I know I asked you if you knew who Krishnamurti was. But basically, reading Krishnamurti books, um, I finally got what he was saying and why he was saying it. And so in that moment, I just shut up for the sake of shutting up with no motivation. uh, And then that sort of sparked this kundalini awakening. Um, So it's kind of when you – when thought stops for the sake of stopping that's when this other energy has uh, room to maneuver in the body, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, so, yeah, that I totally... Yeah,
3: or it becomes noticed, you know, somehow. Yeah. Maybe it's, there's certain energies now that we're not noticing. We're noticing our thoughts and our and what each one of us is saying and the meaning held in that language. And
1: So the question and, is, is there is there a higher, I mean, people talk about a higher self, right? They talk about the, the ego self and then the higher self. But in the state of no self, uh, actually is the all, is this identity with the all. So is there really a higher self, or is that a further illusion, do you think?
3: There's so many things that appear in our thoughts. If it's useful to have a higher self, you know, stay with a higher self. But how can you possibly know something about a higher self? You can experience some feelings and some, some immersion of broader identification. Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, yeah.
3: You can experience these things and then and then they're gone. And maybe it happens uh, many times and then we can say, oh, well, I'm getting somewhere. You know? Right.
1: Well, have you ever met anyone who has lived, Uh, let's say that's a state of consciousness. Do you think it's possible to live on that state as a stage of consciousness? Have you, like, would you say Osho was somebody who lived on a higher stage of consciousness than than you or I?
3: I think those are dangerous ideas. You know, because, I mean, let me tell you, like when I knew Osho and when I was around him, uh, he was an incredible guy, and there's a lot of incredible guys even now. I'm not saying there's only one. Incredible meaning they could respond to anything. I mean, no matter what question or what energy came in front of them, or somehow they would always have a deeper intelligence. They could start with the same things that you and I know and somehow they take it one step further that we never even thought of the real consequences of, of what we, our beliefs were. And uh, what happens is you start to think that that's a special person. And without even realizing it, you've kind of cut yourself out of the formula and say, well, I'm here to see this guy and he gets up on a pedestal. He's not, I'm not even saying he's doing it. You're doing it, you know. I'm putting him on a pedestal because I'm just saying, "Oh, wow! I can." This guy, he was this like this when he was young. He went to this school. He was, you know, he went through this whole life that seems all mm, extraordinary compared to my life, which seems mundane. And somehow, uh, talking about extraordinary experiences and people that live on, on states and plains and and have powers is really a great way to separate yourself from from life and from any possibility of ever opening more fully. Maybe there's some opening that happens. I don't know. You get experiences. People go to gurus and masters to have experiences often. That's how they start, I think.
1: What do you think a guru gets out of it?
3: You know, you could just ask, uh, what do I get out of it? Because I'm not a guru, but I mean, here I am putting a lot of time and effort in just Publicizing and you too, you're making a blog and a and podcasts and so on, and we could just say, "Well, what do you get out of it I mean energy uh when you feel when you're in a room that where people are happy, you feel happy right and so like if a guru is in a room that adulates uh, him uh if that's a good word, uh he probably feels good, you know <laughs> but i I mean uh the human consciousness is absorbed by all the participants in, around. If somebody mean comes in a room and starts screaming and yelling, I mean, you feel like, oh, get this guy out of here. He's shaking he's shaking us off. Or if you're in a, some kind of a mob and they're burning a car or turning it over, I don't know, it's scary because it's just an infective consciousness. Is, it's not even inf- infective. It's just like the lake we're swimming in. We're in that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I think he gets out of it just what we get out of it. Why not? It wouldn't be one way flow, would it?
1: Yeah. And and I got to apologize here if people are hearing the rain. It's really beating down here hard now. Um, but let me ask you, uh, you'd said that he, uh, that Osho was sarcastic. Um, and I know just from my brief readings on the Kalahari Bushmen that they're all about jokes. They're all about being silly. Um, and don't understand the whole, uh, well, even not even guru so much as just the whole Eastern seriousness take on things. Um, for you personally and for the people that you interview, are people too self-serious or are they mostly uh, jovial and, and sort of jokey?
3: I think people are all serious, you know. Uh, Rajneesh probably was serious about his jokes. <laughs> he told a lot of jokes, you know, and I liked them. I've never been a good joke teller. But I think, you know, I'm lately looking at seriousness – as kind of a disease uh, we think we praise it sometimes and say that if you're really serious you can't really go anywhere until you're serious about life or serious about something and seriousness in a way it's, uh, it's a stress or an anxiety because you've got some conundrum to work out and you got and you have a belief that you have you, you know I was given this life to uh, concentrate on these problems and solve them for humanity or for my family or for me and uh, basically, I mean, how do you know there's even a problem until you tell yourself there is one? What I'm saying is it's, it's an interpretation that uh, from a certain angle that, some, that I should be living a different life, I should be in different circumstances, and uh, this is a blockage for me to get there. And uh, it's all a whole set of preconceptions about life. We lay this whole... This network or this matrix we lay on top of our life and say, you know, if, if my life would look like this matrix, I would, you know, I would allow myself to be happy. But uh, until I get pretty good at it, uh, I don't deserve happiness and that, you know, that seriousness will be my motivation to keep going and happiness would be a way to slack off. Uh, now, happiness meaning like contentment or many other words that are not um, stress-laden. Or, uh, okay, let's just say that there's um, two basic classes of an, an emotional response. Everything that we see or hear, everything that we receive as a sensuous being produces some kind of felt sense. And that felt sense has two, two classes, let's say. One kind of closes us down or squeezes us or, like, scares us or fear or anxiety or somehow we tense our muscles and tense our energy flows and all that. And another, and the other class of emo, emotive power is some kind of opening, and breathing deep and opening our heart and seeing the sunset or um, seeing a child play or seeing our relatives after a long time uh, and we finally see them and they've grown up so much and uh, you know and you think wow you know <laughs> when you feel life is great you know. And uh, I think the serious part is all based on uh, fear that we, uh, you know, that we need something, that we're needy, that we're like left alone, we're going to rot, you know. Even though the whole world, all the birds and bees and everybody is living their life and in perfect rhythm with their natural habitat, but somehow we believe a a man or a human can't do that. And I'm not saying that we can just stop in the middle of, of a complex society and a complex structure that we're in. If we said we were going to stop, that would be wrong anyhow, because we would be stopping when really we would just naturally be going. Uh, There's no way to really experiment with that, I I guess. But what I'm trying to say is that uh, we can live our lives in this, even in this complicated society and with this complicated series of energy and environmental and and political and all these structural problems, economic and still have a uh, an openness about us, and I think that we would be much more effective at what we were doing if we weren't closed or upset. You know, we're working from upset. We're we're pissed off. We're you know these guys are mean to us. You know, these bankers have ruined our economy, and they and they're multi billionaires. You know, so that must mean they're doing it on purpose. So I can't really come to you and swear that this is true. The only thing I could do is, wouldn't it be a, I mean, the other, the closure and the the anger and the fear has never really worked anything in my lifetime anyhow. It just seems to be coming around and around. So I would propose that try to find an openness and a happiness as an experiment and try to just live out of that, see what would happen.
0: Do you think,
1: sort of, maybe the crux of the problem is that we are out of uh, touch with nature in the sense that, um, you know, we, we've had on a gentleman named and Ghost Horse who is uh, a Lakota activist. English is his second language. Um, so he tries to teach us about, you know, La- the Lakota way. Um, and it basically sounds like, um, you know, if he says we come from the heart, not the brain. It, it almost sounds like the moment we created pavement or the the moment we created some separation between nature and us created this neuroticism or something um all of these sets of fears and and uptightness that that maybe don't exist when you're you're sort of a more indigenous type of person uh do you think it's that basic do you, you think that if we just sort of i don't know let go of that uptightness that uh, we would fall back into place naturally.
3: It'd be worth a try. I mean, why not? Number one, number two, it's kind of like he's saying. Uh, he's talking about the heart. You know, oh, first, first of all, I would say this. I mean, even pavement is natural. <laughs> it's made out of something. It's made out of oil and sand or well, acid, yeah, yeah. asphalt. You know, <laughs> I mean, let it all be natural because this is our nature, right? A human made it. Well, and but the point is that you're, that, on the you're, that idea, you're, you're
1: building houses, you're blocking out elements, I guess. Maybe that's it. It's sort of like you're blocking out the elements and you're trying to master, you have a mastery over nature as opposed to, uh, yeah, you know, as he said, living on Earth as opposed to living with Earth. There are certain things that, you know, like that, that might be these tiny word plays that are actually giant distinctions that that maybe took us on a wrong, if inevitable, turn uh i'm just wondering if you if you maybe agree with that or or not
3: in one way that when somebody says the way of the heart to me that means that something is natural something is not really the way of the heart doesn't have to really be strived for it's just our natural connection or natural energy flow or you know with the planet with other people with all living beings and The other side is like what we make of that. What we make of it is uh, a languaged ability to interpret and try to make a verbal model of what we're perceiving. And our focus, which is our attention, can just go on those ideas. And somehow those ideas are made up of older ideas. And we're trying to verify that this new perception fits into one of those older ideas or maybe modify some older ideas or maybe if we're really lost, we maybe try to research it and see what other people think about that. But basically that's a level of interpretation which uh, because our focus is not on the so-called way of the heart or what's just natural, our focus is on on thoughts about it and that's how we can separate
1: I want to take us on a slightly different track now and just ask about the problem of evil and the sort of ecology of uh angels and demons that that pops up in mythology and in religion and and that sort of thing uh and and even in visions and I'm I'm wondering if you think that there or have you experienced I don't know is there such a thing as um evil and Uh, do these things that we attach to concepts of good and evil, like angels and demons, that sort of thing. I mean, are these, beyond the mythology, are these things that exist? Um, Either, I don't know if you have an opinion about that, or if you know if, for instance, Osho, or any of the people you've had on your show have given opinions about that.
3: Some people talk about levels and other disembodied beings and things like that. Of course, there's other... Things that are said to be existing and true that are not visible, like uh, the law of karma or something like that that's saying that somehow what we plant is what we what we sow is what we reap and and then there are lifetimes and you know people talk about incarnation and reincarnation, so i'm sure that people I talk to sometimes. Use those as uh, descriptive tools to try to get a point across, and uh, I guess even gurus will say that there's a time when there is no karma, or they'll actually say there's a time when none of that exists now I, when I say there's a time I, and that 's not very accurate i mean but I mean basically i 'm saying that it's not uh intrinsic to Existence that these things are there. Some people perceive them and seem to be bothered by them and controlled by them and led around by them, evils and karmas. And, and I'm sure, I don't know, I mean, sometimes you can you can see, okay, l- let me use this as an example then. Uh, a lot of people will complain about the economy and, and start speaking about bankers and, and businessmen are basically greedy and so then right away, whether that's evil or not, I mean, that's kind of a level of, of not being concerned with your fellow man and uh, me-first-ism. And uh, so then, in a way, the rules of the business and the rules of the government kind of promote thinking about my company and about me. It's kind of like they're in a hamster cage that's got a certain kind of a wheel in it, and that wheel... Uh, is, says that the name of the game is to uh, gather wealth and uh, and keep it, you know. <laughs> and so they run real well in that hamster cage. But I think if they were in another hamster cage, they would run on another wheel just as easy. I don't know if that makes any sense. What I'm trying to say yeah. is like the, our system promotes uh, thinking about and and not seeing how we could help another, you know, and holding the other out. I mean even with business like even free market okay here's an example medicine is something that we in the west we patent it's a new discovery it's only ours uh we sell it at a great expense and it's a it's a kind of like a it's it's like a super hit because it's a chemical hit against the chemical machine which is our body so it makes a a real uh you know it's almost like <laughs> the movies where they have a uh, so many special effects. It's a special effect, right? But maybe even a better way of being healthy would be a traditional method, using herbal med- medicines. And uh, herbs and plants, are we're part of them. We are part of plants. And so that the, uh, the chemicals and so on that are synthesized in plants are totally absorbable by our body because we are that. But yet, no business will commercialize herbal medicines in a big way. I mean, they won't get them certified through FDA or anything like that. And sure, they'll package them and sell them as a, in an herbal shop, but I mean, nothing like the pharmaceuticals because the game we're playing says that we, need, we, we have to make a profit. We, there's got to be a bottom line. Herbs are free. <laughs> you just grow them. <laughs> and uh, so then those things are always going to get overlooked by the current system of business and even government. Mm-hmm. And uh so then therefore uh we could we could I don't know that it just means that people are are evil, okay? But we're playing in a game that somehow rewards that evilness. Okay, here's another thing about evil. Uh I was just I was reading a story about uh abuse with homosexuality and uh I just kind of realized that Sex, and uh, and life and death, are kind of an energy that are very similar. You know, I mean, you talked about they, Kundalini. You call it the,
1: the little death.
3: Well, that too, but I mean, in a way, when you talked about Kundalini, and so then you talk about chakras, but that's the root chakra, right? Right. Okay, and so then uh, in the old days, I mean, when the Vikings came down to Ireland, or when the when the uh, Greeks went into, and the Macedonians went to Troy or, I mean, here's a bunch of guys with a bunch of swords killing each other. And then the next thing they would always do is go into town and rape everyone. Because it, I think it's a real sexual energy. I've, I just had this idea that's where uh, S&M comes from. Sadism and stuff is, also, is a similar root chakra energy. And so then there's a lot of violence in sex Whereas maybe in another society where there was no wars, maybe there was a really no, uh, no, I mean, sex might have happened all the time. I think there were some idyllic island societies in the Greek islands that for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, no invaders came. And they, it was kind of like the land of milk and honey. I don't imagine they really, they had sex all the time, but they probably didn't really... Uh, think much about it it was just second nature and they didn't need any violence to pump it up so then that's another thing that uh uh, we're saying that there's a lot of violence and uh around the relationship between the sexes and maybe that is something that is just another hamster cage that we're running on that wheel
1: that's interesting um well just in terms of uh you know, evil for evil's sake, a being that's evil. I don't know. I just, I just find it interesting because again, I I don't, uh, you know, I've had experiences of my own, but I've only peripherally looked at Buddhism or the Kalahari or, you know, anything sort of outside my cultural frame of reference. Um, but the one thing that shocked me was, you know, I, I guess I had this sort of cliche in my head of Buddhism just being about um, emptiness, you know, the great empty and that sort of thing. Um, ending of sorrow, but then you you find out no, they actually have this sort of mythology about levels of hell, and they have sort of adopted uh, bits of I don't know maybe Shintoism or animism, um, but anyway they've they've adopted all of these sorts of different demonic um, images, visages, and that sort of thing, and, and I'm wondering how literal that is. You know, are are these people experiencing something literal and and jotting it down, um, or are these symbols of something?
3: Uh, Would you mind if I read a couple of lines out of a book? Sure. Okay. I mean, I'm not even necessarily going to give a credit here because it's just kind of saying like a fact or a what if, you know. It's not really an opinion or any kind of a learning. But talking about actually Buddhism and actually about all the masters. And it just is saying, now this is, for me, this is kind of really meaningful. It it was cause for reflection. I'll just see if I can read uh, just a few lines here says, from a practical point of view, one of the chief hindrances to our understanding of the messages of the masters lies simply in the parts of speech used in delivering their teaching. In brief, nouns are used where the meaning can only be suggested by verbs. Now he's saying modern translators are not by any means entirely to blame, although ultimately the fault lies within their lack of understanding. The Buddha himself spoke Magadhi, a language that I've never heard of. And his teaching was recorded many years later in Pali and in Sanskrit. Few of our authorities, in fact, left anything in writing, and what we have is of theirs has been passed through many hands before reaching us. And he's talking about the Buddhist thought was developed and practiced in China, and, and that's something we can study. But, he says, the written language of Ch- uh, Chinese, the parts of speech, are practically non-existent. Finally, modern languages, particularly French, which with its Cartesian tradition, are deeply rooted in objective forms so that it is difficult and sometimes impossible to express any thought otherwise than in purely objective manner, nouns. But the essence of the message of the masters is precisely that what is objectivized is not truth. And what what is true can only be apprehended by ceasing to perceive like that so, then something like wisdom is not a, a, a thing. It's just a state of seeing. Yes. And, and where can you see? But uh, not in a scripture. You only can see now. And uh, there's so many things you can say that. Uh, so, an objective object is a chair, a table, and all those kind of things, physical things, but it's also a concept of, uh, of truth, of peace. You know, peace is really doesn't exist because peace is just the absence of turmoil. Truth is just the absence of confusions. And then we're saying things like uh, the Lakota was saying that the way of the heart. So the way of the heart is not a way. It's just what's left over when you start, when you stop uh, doing the verb of uh, objectivizing, which is like... Putting your attention on a th- on a thought about something uh, to make something an object, we have to have a label for it, and and we have to have a take on m- what it means and how it relates, and you know it's all a language. And really, a lang- uh, even a tree doesn't come with any language or any name. And if we call it a tree or a pine tree or a different kind of a tree, it really has- doesn't mean anything. Really, <laughs> doesn't tell you how a tree functions or what it is or uh, what its life is about, or
1: sure, yeah. I mean, I, I that's all absolutely true.
3: Uh. So then, all these words that we're putting on evil and good and uh, and spiritual truths and so on. I mean, it's an object. It's it's a particularly Western way of looking at things. I'm guessing, you know, I don't know what uh, the rest of the world, uh, the emerging world, or the tribal worlds, or I really don't know about very much, except just probably Judo uh Christian and maybe Muslim is I didn't read the, you know, the Quran, but I mean, I guess part of it it springs forth from the Old Testament and that was the cradle of those those people where they where they came from and what their thought was all about. Their 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 belief systems and so on. I don't know. I don't think that uh that means that I can Intuit what's real and what isn't real, but I can kind of soften on what I think is real and say, well, all these these things I'm taking as objects, maybe they're not. Maybe it's just a, a human behavior that the result of a human behavior looks like an object, looks like a sin, looks like a an evil, looks like an aggression. And once that uh, human behavior stops, that, uh, that evil is, disappears.
1: Sort of on that note, are you uh familiar with reincarnation
3: well i don 't remember any past lives <laughs> or anything no, no.
1: but I was asking uh, you know my uncle who uh, is far more familiar with Buddhism than I am, um you know if they don 't believe in a self uh, then what do they believe goes on um, you know as a ghost or a reincarnation or something and he he'd said that they his take on it anyway is that that there it is not clear um but that there is some piece of the self of thought that sort of sticks around uh in some weird way i mean it, how is that i mean i'm i'm trying to make sense of you know is there something that is um permanent to us or not um is that even an important question, maybe, is the first question. Yeah.
3: Uh,
1: but is Well, there- you know,
3: I mean, so I guess uh, all parents will say that uh, children are born with a tendency. I mean, they're different. I, I actually didn't have any kids, so I'm, I didn't study the situation too closely. <laughs> but I think that, that, that that'll be commonly reported, right, uh, to actually billions of people, because there's billions of parents that will say their different children are, are quite different, even at birth. And so then it seems like you come with some kind of a baggage. Now, whether that comes from a previous lifetime, I mean, uh, a lot of people will say that and they'll actually, and a lot of people will remember things and they'll say, well, that must mean I had a previous lifetime. And they might even be able to verify those things because it won't be so far off that they couldn't go to the Middle East or wherever they think they're, and then see those, uh, have those visions and then they find a place where the mountains look just like that or or whatever. I don't know if there's still any buildings left or what, but, you know, they they somehow feel like, well, I never was there and I, and I had this vision, so it must be true. But uh, who knows where a vision comes from and who knows where our, our thoughts come from even now. I'm not so sure that it's all that useful to uh, to know if you had a past life or not. Because, I mean, in a way, we have enough trouble with our own life, right? I mean, we're not running our own life in a very good way. And so then if we think, oh, we could get one or two or three or five past lives in our memory banks and try to work those ones out too, I wonder if that isn't just a distraction. If it came important to have a past life, I suppose it would come in such a strong way that we couldn't 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 avoid it, you know, and we should maybe just run like hell from it, you know, and then when it catches us again and just grabs us and shakes us and says, "I'm your past life, you've got to consider me." <laughs> then we'll say, "Okay, okay, already, what do you want?" <laughs> you know, but I mean to run toward those things. The same with extraterrestrials or all all kinds of uh, phenomena. I think we can just get lost in any kind of any kind of thing, uh, curious anything possible to avoid this life, right? Anything to, to allow us to, uh, to not focus on, on, on these feelings that are coming up right now. I mean, uh, apparently that's what the, I mean, we, this life is boring, right? And this moment is boring. Uh, Or otherwise we're totally focused on our, the abuse we had or how our parents neglected us or how our teachers didn't uh, treat us fairly or I don't know what are the excuses that we give to uh, have a bad day. Uh, there are myriad, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, We won't give up any any avenue of finding an excuse to to say that we're screwed. We won't. You know, many of us have had ex- have years have gone down the pike where we chose trying to, try to t- use every possible excuse to be stupid. Right.
1: <laughs> well, I think that's you know that's all not wanting to give up the self, and I think that's. Um, whatever. You know, you'll know, you take the path of least resistance, even if that's self-abuse. <laughs> it's whatever you're used to. Uh,
3: whatever you're used to, it's your ground of being, you know. Self-abuse comes from probably your family was abusive, you know. We're all abusive, actually. Anytime we're trying to steer someone and say, hey, you shouldn't be like you. You should be like me or like those guys that I know, you know, we're abusing that person and we're trying to knock them off a of center, right? Even in an argument, if you and I started to argue and I said, no, I'm right. And you said, well, uh, my experience was different. If I was not accepting your experience and trying to dismiss it and make you feel bad about it, I would be abusing you. Mm -hmm. And parents do that all the time because they think that, uh, well, they've had more experience. And if this guy could just get a head start, you know, I mean, I could have been an Olympic athlete if I'd only started when I was three, but I didn't start till I was nine. So now my kid's going to start when he's three, you know, the temptation to mold another person is really strong in the families and, uh, and in, in schools and in businesses. And uh, we just take people and we don't allow them to find their own interest. I was working in a college just lately and I hear teachers, uh, professors say this over and over again, you know, uh, this is the common, you know, you just got to find your passion, you know, and what do you really love? And you should be doing exactly what you love. And, so what do you want to do? And they go, duh. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like nobody knows their interest because it never got lit. Nobody ever ignited their interest. They always put a mold on top of them, a curriculum, and said, no, you learn this. No, this is, now we're doing numbers. You know, I don't want numbers. <laughs> no, take them. And the parents give them a gift if they, uh, if they get obedient or something like that. And, and you go through school. I didn't like school. Most but don't, of my, but don't oh, we
1: see this with the gurus as well? You get a spiritual curriculum, you get um, the closeness to this sort of parental figure. Um, you you're, It's sort of the workings of a cell, right? You're working in conjunction with this person to gain something. Um, and, and in your head, you think, well, I, I'm doing this for the sake of enlightenment or the sake of whatever, the sake of some sort of fulfillment. But, but isn't that another sort of just a more clever ego game to say, um, look, I intuit that there is something to seek here. Um, I think
3: you're right. I think you're right. And they don't just intuit it either. It all comes out of the spiritual teachings and traditions and all the books and stuff. If any, you know, the books might not even say it, but they'll just describe somebody's life and say it was like this. And you say, oh, that's how you do it. So, I want to so be at like the end that of, too. At
1: the end of the day, at the end of the day when, when, when you uh, go to a guru, uh, then do you uh, throw it away? I mean, is that what it is ultimately? Do you, do you learn you never needed him to begin with and...
3: Well, I think you know hints are helpful, and then a lot of gurus um, put you in processes that supposedly are focused on self-destructing. Number one for the process, but also number two uh, to uh, deconstruct some of your uh, beliefs and your, you know, your your sureness of how life is, and how can we be sure? You know, we're just here for a few years, a few decades.
1: Are they destroying them or replacing them?
3: Well, they might be replacing them. It depends, you know. And then, uh, and sometimes when they're destroying them, we quickly replace them and say, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what he meant. We're so used to, folk, okay, like, why is it that people talk about the power of now and, 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 and that now everything flows and, and that even your experience was in a now, you know, and it was a uh, supra experience, you know, in other words, above the normal. And the normal, in a way, is like a past tense experience, it's like uh, uh, an experience of uh, cognition, like uh, it's comparing memories and stuff like that, comparing systems and, and somehow recognizing uh, by uh, older patterns and recognizing newer patterns so that it's laced with, uh, it's filtered and laced with oldness. And somehow, in so many of us, it doesn't seem any different. If we're focused on now or an old memory. In fact, the old memory sometimes is better because it, <laughs> it's more enhanced. We've enhanced it. So then, what am I saying? I'm saying that we live a conceptual life, everything is focused through an idea. So many of us never really let go of a, of a thought pattern. And even in the now, so the now is really no different. It doesn't seem like it's any different, it's seamless. It's all thought. It's just all uh, a big uh, set of concepts. And we never let a, a space in there where we don't need to to be categorizing and, and cataloging and uh, comparing. And, uh, of course, all that stuff means there's automatically a preference, which is a judgment. And there's automatically fired up a desire and a fear, a desire a desire for and a desire against. So you could call that both of those are fears, I guess. And what are we fearing? That we're not enlightened enough that we could get some more if we went to this guru. And so then naturally when the guru deconstructs something right away, we're already in the thinking mode. You know, we're, we're, we're working in with our, the clay of life for many of us are just ideas. We're never really out of the idea realm. I guess gurus try to get you to meditate and stuff and say maybe there's a time when mind can come to rest. And uh, why would mind come to rest? I mean, because I guess you don't need to think about anything. I mean, what do you need to think about? Okay, here's one for you. I was just kind of considering something about, uh, we did, I talked to somebody, well, actually it was a long time ago, 18 months ago or something, but we were talking about boundaries and being sensitive to boundaries, our own boundaries and other people's boundaries. And every time somehow um, someone crosses our boundaries, you feel it. Whatever that means to you, you know, I don't really have to get too, I mean somebody can just kind of look at you cross-eyed and you can think, what do they mean by that? You can feel it. And uh, every time that happens, I think an idea fires off. What was that? What did that mean? What do I need to do about that? I mean, these boundaries, at any one moment, they're they're probably at a certain place, you know? I'm not saying they could, couldn't relax as you just got more comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But I mean... Every time a boundary is crossed, in a way, uh, an idea fires. And it says, you know, what do I do about that? You know, is this a problem or what? And mostly we find, even if it's not a problem, we probably categorize it and say, well, we need more of these. How do I get more of this? How do I stay in this, you know, even if we like it with the guru? So I'm not saying that the guru tries to give you another structure and says, get rid of this structure and put this one in place. I'm just saying that one structure falls down and then automatically one sprouts up, you know, just like <laughs> we know that there's got to be a structure there somewhere. We want to grasp onto In order to grasp anything, you really need to have a conceptual structure to grasp it. Otherwise, how do you grasp it without a label and a, and a whole series of uh, mental gyrations? There's nothing you can hold on to in life and, until you explain it. And so concepts, which are kind of basically dead because a concept is fixed, life is in motion, it's always going to go out of date, right, sooner or later, and depending on how fast you let your life move. And uh, so then I, I don't think the gurus, nec- many of them are, are really trying to uh, make a structure there. They'll they'll give you a system of meditation and some of them will tell you how it'll look when you're in deep meditation and there'll be a white light and I'll come out of that light and I'll hold your hand and I'll take you all around the world and introduce you to God and stuff. I mean, that's a little rich, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll say God, that. Mr. I don't know. Miller, but...
1: Mr. Miller, God.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, well, but to the, I mean, is their goal for you to leave them or is their goal for you to stay?
3: Once well, sooner or game. later they, uh, you're going to go, you know, I think, uh, I, I think they're, they're probably, you know, this is the real problem with all religions and all, all methods. And there's no hole at the top. You know, there's a hole at the bottom where you come in. But even in a religion, there's no hole at the top where you can leave without being, they say that you're a heretic. You shouldn't leave this. And, uh, and, and really, I think every teaching, if it's of any value, you don't have to carry it around for the rest of your life. You have to set it down at a certain time. Otherwise, it's not a value, it's not a freedom, it's a burden. Each teaching you pick up and you have to carry it in a rucksack and keep doing these processes and keep doing these meditations and keep doing these pujas and whatever. I mean, maybe people still do it, even so called enlightened, uh, still do puja and stuff, but it's just kind of like a tendency or a momentum, you know. There's no reason not to do it either. But I mean, i think all teachings have to be set down all gurus have to be set down i, I you know a lot of times when you look and try, try to see who is te- who is teaching now that was at a certain guru and it's only the only ones that are teaching are the ones that left him the ones that are still there uh, i don't know if, maybe they just uh, they just keep looking to who are him or her
0: mm-hmm
1: well, I guess uh, maybe my last question is um, something that I've been trying probably poorly <laughs> to, uh, to, to impart in people here is uh, that we see the world through third-person, second-person, first-person perspectives, um, and when you approach the unknowable, um, you can't know the unknowable by definition – uh, and this sort of is what I th- I think just a reworking of what you had said earlier, and and I just kind of want to know if it is if if you think this is on the right path or not. Uh, that basically what what you're saying about um, forming a thought or treating something as a noun or or an object. Um, what you're saying is you need to be it, not not identify it, which means taking the first person perspective, which means being the unknowable. And I think that's the thing that is beyond self. Um, and that's the thing that we try to block out pretty fairly consistently for many, many thousands of years. Uh, does, does that ring true to you?
3: Yeah, being the unknowable. I don't know. You are the unknowable, right? <laughs> so well, how you are the normal, but identifying. So, you know. Yeah, that's what we even <laughs> go beyond verbs. <laughs> right, right,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in a sense, thought is the thing. Thought is the object in the way of being uh, sort of formlessness, right? Form. Uh, so what is meditation? Meditation is shutting up. What is shutting up? Getting rid of form.
3: I think thought makes form, that's for sure. And then form is something that we like to get caught up in. And I think, I mean, so many people jump to the opposite conclusion and say, oh, well, then we shouldn't have form. And we should just stay in formlessness as much as we can and not really think or not do anything. And uh, I don't know. I think yeah, that would be really missing the boat. <laughs> But you know, like when you get stuck in form, it seems like you're between a rock and a hard spot, and this life is just too much for you. And then uh, you get into all kinds of exasperation, and and your emotions always run so uh, so coarse, uh, meaning that they uh, it's just a roller coaster ride, or your body is uh, just going through all kinds of trips and, and seizures and stuff like that. You know, I mean really, why not have a life of fun? You know, we're all saying that we want one, but we don't deserve it until we solve a lot of problems. And then then we deserve it. So tomorrow I'll be happy. And uh, uh, so being, just being, I mean, we are just being. And somehow it has to uh, just be relaxed into, I suppose. Uh, for a moment I was saying something like... Uh, Every time there's a cross of our borders or our boundaries, uh, a thought fires off. I was saying something like that now, another take on that might be that uh, if we need stuff, if we're incomplete, if we're not whole, then maybe there's plenty of evidence for that I don't know I mean, but I mean the more we feel that we're not whole, the more we feel we have to uh, cure something and and do something else but i mean what's the evidence that we're not whole it's just uh, our idea that life could be another way because somebody else's life is different why shouldn't ours be like his or hers and uh i don't know i i think the other side of the the coin is that we are whole and that we've got what we need it takes a great self comp- a compassion for ourselves to just uh be in that space and just say that you know, even though people told us to strive and to uh, and to get things and to learn things, still there that can't nullify our basic okayness. That can only be kind of a game. That's the road to being, basically, because we're being already. It's just uh, what's going to uh, give us that that peace. Peace. Let's see. That's kind of like uh, an overused word, but what's going to give us that sense that, that we're, we don't need to reject this moment? Somehow it's just got to be a compassion and uh, an openness that uh, we're here already, you know? And uh, we can play games of learning and seeking enlightenment and stuff like that, but we still have to know the basic is that we're, that's just a game and we're really here already. Here, meaning here, it just means here. Where else could, could we be? There's a great value to that. It's just a and so a good feeling is a metaphor for this wholeness, you know, because there's nothing nothing needed in this moment, you know. And uh, sure, an idea will pop up, and action is still possible, and doing is still possible, and participation is still possible, and even more. I mean, somebody will say, hey, let's do this. And there's no reason to say no. All my plate's full. I got so much to do. I got a lot of appointments. I'm behind in my work. And I mean, just to do it.
1: <laughs> well, Richard Miller, thank you very much for coming on Paratopia. Um, and if uh, people liked or loved this conversation, we'll be picking it up in reversing roles. He'll be interviewing me for his show next week, although I'm not certain when your show actually airs.
3: Well, uh, you know, I just have a stock of shows. And so like, um, I've got, I turn in shows for four and five at a time. And so then I'm just, uh, you know, whenever you, you and I have a, a moment we can record. Sure.
1: All right. Uh, Richard Miller, your website is never not com. Thank you again for coming on the show. And, um, for taking the deep plunge into territories that that I've been wanting to go on this show for a while but uh, hadn't had a chance to do. So uh, thank you for bringing us there.
3: Thank you very much, Jeremy, and I'm only sorry that I didn't get a chance to meet Jeff.
1: Yep, well, next time.
3: (laughs) All right. (laughs) Good night and good night, everyone.
1: And Just say, whenever you're ready, this is Nick Redfern, you're listening to Paratopia. Yeah,
3: you ready? Sure.
1: So the Jeff. So the Jer. How about that Richard Miller, huh? Who? Oh, I guess you weren't uh, you weren't there for that. No, no, it's a Richard Miller thing. You wouldn't understand. Right. Um, we talked about uh, spirituality and uh, gurus. Okay. Stuff. Huh. We talked about whether or not there is such a thing as evil.
2: Oh, see, I would have liked that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a Richard Miller thing. You, you
2: wouldn't get it. Is there evil, Jer?
1: Again, I can't. You, you'll have to listen to the interview to figure it out. Great. Yeah, but the answer is uh,
2: maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to see we're still uh, yeah, we got getting <laughs> those concrete findings here on Peritopia.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, there is something that I wanted to address from... Uh, the 20 questions we played last week uh, that that actually has to do with this week's show, which is you would ask me if there is such a thing um, as a – if my experience was a universal experience, if it's something that everyone would tap into. right? uh, The big I am, God, identity thing. Uh, And I found here a quote from Swami Muktananda, if I am pronouncing his name correctly, if over-enunciatedly. Um, And he talks about kundalini energy, which is what I say this energy is that's in me. Okay. He says, In our present state, we identify ourselves with this body, which has a certain size and shape. We are not aware that we are all pervasive. It is only when the kundalini is awakened that we become aware of our true nature, of our greatness, of the fact that not only do we belong to God, but we are God. When one acquires the strength of kundalini, one expands infinitely, and then one assimilates the whole universe. One is able to see the whole universe within oneself. One no longer remains a bound, limited creature. One achieves total union with God. Uh, so I would say that that's someone who had the same experience as I did. Huh. Would you not? Would you not say that that's basically it?
2: Well, I don't know. You'd have to tell me. I mean, does that accurately describe your your yeah. feelings? And, you know, does that articulate it well enough to say, yeah, I think that that's probably the same experience? Yes. Yes! So, so my question for that would be, um, uh, to, to your knowledge, has anyone ever, well, you may say this is a total stumble upon thing, but has anyone just stumbled upon, uh, awakening of this, you know, so-called energy? I mean, has anyone, uh, you know, I mean, where did this originally originate from? Where did this, is this? So ancient or is this uh, more of a – and I say recent, meaning the past 200 years, 300 years? How far back does this go?
1: As far as Kundalini goes and that sort of thing, uh, it's been talked about for thousands of years. Okay. I think the safe bet is that uh, the moment we became us from the animal kingdom, that's what shut it off and that it's uh, probably more along the lines of instinct in some ways. You know, the instinctive, I mean, because what is it that's moving my body, right? This instinctive force that does things, <laughs> that knows. It's this inherent knowledge of whatever this is. You know, it's it's uh, sort of an inherent instruction, right? Okay. And and so what's another name for that really? Instinct, right? So I, I don't know. To me, uh, that's what makes sense is that it's not that this has been around for thousands of years. It's, it's that we blocked this out uh, however many thousands or millions of years ago.
2: Huh? Any idea why we would have done that, or yeah, why evolution? I think, would I,
1: yeah, up? I think it's uh, the second you, the second the animal wakes up into this higher sense of self, it, it's knee-jerk reaction. It's is fear, and in that moment of fear, it builds this sense of self, and that sense of self is the thing that blocks out uh, this thought. Really, is the thing that blocks out this other energy. Okay. Uh, I shouldn't even say other, but you know, it's it's kind of hard to talk about, but this energy that is it's case <laughs> is the case of it in any event, uh whether it, whether it's dormant or not. Okay. Uh which is why when we meditate, we uh we get rid of thought, right? That's that's sort of thought it's it's about quieting your mind and blah blah blah. Well, what does that really mean? It means getting rid of the objects that are thoughts. Uh to get back to this formless awareness that doesn't you know arise in the brain but comes from whatever this universal source is i mean these are all words right <laughs> which you know describe <laughs> but uh you know i don't know i hate using the terminology but that's basically it
2: so uh here's a dumb question uh does that mean necessarily that early kurgan magnon man would have been sitting around doing whirling dervishes and uh tai chi movements
1: I don't know. I don't know that uh, – the other thing is I don't know that he would have had to. Like I don't know that that people who practice those things would need to do it.
2: Oh, I see. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, Because I think ultimately what it's doing is giving whatever the body needs for, you know, as perfect health as, as can be achieved. Okay. Uh
2: well, what do you think of, uh, I mean, when you first brought up the uh, the K-word, I <laughs> I started looking on the internet about it, and I started reading different things across the net. And one of the things that I came across, which seemed to be written by, a, uh, it was written by a doctor, so it seemed to be somewhat uh, um, very articulate, very well written. And one of the things that was said in there was that in some people when this sort of, energy or this sort of, um, thing is awakened, quote unquote, um, that it it has had a, um, debilitating effect on some people and it has made some people for lack of a better word, crazy or dysfunctional. Um, what do you think of that? Do you not see that as a possibility or have you never heard of anything like that before?
1: Uh, yeah, no, I've, I've read that and I can see how that would happen. Um, I can see how that would happen when you're trying to control it uh, almost in the same way when you're trying to control the drug trip. Uh-huh. Um, it becomes even more fearful and out of control. <laughs> okay. Uh, it just builds paranoia and then you feel your own heart beating and all that. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of the same thing. It's like, you no, know, you've got to keep going with the flow because it's the getting in the way. That's the problem. It's not the Kundalini awakening. If you want to call it that, that's the problem. It's, the trying to block it out because that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing 24 hours a day is blocking it out. And so when it opens up, you want to dam it up again. You want to control it. You want to be in charge. So
2: is, is it a door that cannot be shut again?
1: Um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't think it, no, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if it can be shut again. I certainly haven't been able to, and I, um, you know, I've gone really long periods of time without activating it. So uh, I think it's likely. Well, it, it, well,
2: I mean, at a, I mean, if you can go really long periods of time without interacting with it at all, then wouldn't you say you have a certain measure of control over it?
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, I have a certain measure of control over, um, it doing the body movements. Right. Uh, when it first started, I didn't have any control over. Like, for instance, when the visions started or the clear audio, uh, start, I mean, I didn't have any control over any of that stuff. I don't have any control hmm. over whatever that slit is that opens up at all.
2: Okay. Um, and that's likened to the snake, is it not?
1: Uh, yeah. Kundalini rising, I guess. Yeah, they do liken it to a snake, a snake serpent. at the base
2: of the spine that unfurls and right. goes up your back. Yeah. Um, yeah well how far back does that kind of imagery go i mean what is that where does that come from i mean is that is that just a metaphoric or is that something that i mean if you've seen a snake like that i mean is that something that you can see because you often talk about uh having your eyes shut and seeing like a light that seems just above your head or you talk about like the back of your neck or your spine lighting up in some place you know and i always say well what do you mean it lit up could you see it like could you open your eyes and look down and see your it glowing through your skin and you're like no it's not like that it's it's different how accurate are, you know visually is that kind of stuff or is it just a feeling that you know that you sense from closed eyes
1: no it's like it's it's almost like remote viewing your own body or something you know okay. it's like you see it um i don't know you have a vision of it how real is that vision i don't know okay. uh but as far as as seeing a snake no i don't see a snake uh the the imagery I believe is Hindu, and someone out there can correct me if I'm wrong. So that's probably about you know as far back as as uh, as we go. Okay. Uh, just about. Um, but you know, interestingly, and I, I I know I've talked about this before. I did see snakes once, which I thought was odd. I had that hallucination of two cobras on the floor, and then realizing there couldn't possibly be cobras on the floor, and rolling over and having this giant. Albino python wriggling up my <laughs> wriggling up my torso, you know, coming at me, and then right. jumping off the couch, and nothing right. was there. Um,
2: so. Which is not dissimilar from uh, what Graham Hancock talked about with the uh, ayahuasca thing, where the the giant snake wrapped itself around him and got in his face, and yeah. all of that. So, yeah. Um,
1: Although I, I mean, didn't get the sense this thing wanted to talk to me. I didn't <laughs> get the
2: sense this was a snake. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it all sounds, uh, it all sounds interesting to me. I just, uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not going to front, uh, this part of it. I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't understand it. I have to study more about it and, um, uh, before I can even ask the right questions. Well, I mean, you know what I,
1: part of the problem is, um, mm-hmm. is that, I you know, I haven't really studied it. You know, mm-hmm. I do have a handful of books here, Um, but it's really going through the process and then you understand it. It's like it's its own language and I can now speak that language. Right. So I can have a conversation like I had tonight. I can have a conversation with Teokasin. You know, I can read books on the Kalahari and I get all of it because, because I've experienced yeah. it. You know what I mean? And I think like the experience of it um sheds light on the language. It, it sort of opens up the okay. language that these people are speaking. Yeah. In their own various ways.
2: Uh, well, and I think at least I've told you before that anytime I try to, uh, like I asked you one time, like, how do you meditate? What do you do? Like, what do you do? Because I didn't know. Uh, this is not, you know, part of my everyday activity. <laughs> and, you know, you gave me the, uh, the thing of uh, go to a quiet place, lay on your back, don't cross your legs, don't cross your arms or anything. Like, just lay flat and, uh, and become aware of every part of you and kind of let that just kind of settle in. And um, I have to admit, every time I do that, um, uh, number one, the, the top of my head feels like it starts stretching, which is I can deal with that. That's fine. It's not that pervasive that it bothers me. But then it feels like the house is like Dorothy and you know Oz. It's, it feels like the house is spinning, or it feels like I'm rocking back and forth like I'm on a boat. Like I've grew up on boats my whole life. I am in Maryland for Christ's sake, but this feels like I am on a boat and I am rocking back and forth. And then at certain points, the rocking goes past the you know the uh, the, the the horizon. Uh, you know, it, it feels like I am going to flip completely over, and that becomes so disoriented. I open my eyes and I kind of you know I instinct I instinctively flinch, and that's really about as far as I've ever truthfully been able to get for any length of time like that's all i get out of it and that's probably laying there for a half an hour and just you know still as death as i can get and uh and i've tried um you know all the things with breathing uh controlled breathing counting my breaths, that sort of thing it pretty much always ends up the same i usually end up um in some kind of i don't know like Jarring myself out of it just because the sensation of being unaware of what's the floor and what's the ceiling, even though I'm laying on my back, which is that's what really freaks me out is like I can't tell what's up and down. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of where it goes for me. And then I, I just instinctively flinch out of it. So is the is the key to that to realize you're not moving, that you really are just laying there and keep telling yourself that or what? I mean, how do you get over that reactive flinch?
1: it's a similar question as somebody asked me privately, they were seeing lights and shadows and all that sort of stuff that we talk about out of the periphery and floating around in the sky and, or in Mm -hmm. the the room. And I think the answer to both of these things, um, is to realize that these aren't going to hurt you. And as proof, they're not hurting you. And so let them exist. You know, uh, the, the stretching and all of that, I mean, I, I've felt that a cajillion times, and nothing's happened. You know,
2: right, right.
1: So right. if nothing, comes yeah, that doesn't
2: out. really that doesn't really bother me too much. It's it's more the, the pitch thing that bothers me. Mm-hmm. There was a time where I bought a uh, like a relaxation tape, and it was it was very meditative, you know, and it was it was very peaceful, and it it, it involved a, a visu- visualization process of you know walking down a path and uh, coming to a spring, and then it just ended with silence and uh and it was great it was super- super relaxing i mean really relaxing and and the um the imaginative place i mean, because I can visualize so well it was was uh stunning. I mean the visuals were really neat, uh even though it was all imaginative um, i guess based on the sounds that you hear on this c d and all of that but one of the things, and tell me if you've ever had this because i actually went to the website where I bought this CD. Um, I, I did this when I first started a job and I was really stressed out at super high pressure and I'm still there. So obviously it worked to a certain point. I was laying there one day and the music ended, the sound effects kind of fade away and you're left with silence and you're just laying there. And I, I had the pitching going on, but it wasn't outrageous and I definitely had the head stretching thing. And then I felt like, uh, like I had something attached to my forehead that was huge. I mean, like, like I had a, an appendage coming out of my forehead. That's what it kind of felt like. Um, and then I don't know how else to explain it other than um, I felt a presence or I felt something there that clearly wasn't there because I was alone. This is when I was in the condo, so it's been, been a while ago but I felt a presence and I actually felt something touch me and that immediately jarred me out Mm -hmm. uh, because it felt just like a hand right below my rib cage. It felt just like a hand. And so I immediately, I opened my eyes and I kind of jumped up. I mean, I opened my eyes expecting to see someone. And when I didn't, that's when I freaked and jumped up. So does that kind of thing, I mean, do you have to ignore stuff like that too? I mean, has that ever happened to you? I think
1: so. Well, uh, I don't know if I felt a hand I mean I've seen my own body disappear you know hmm. into thickness <laughs> in the hmm. room and I've uh seen lights come and go from me and um a lot of times I feel like like there are insects on me hmm. like you feel crawl things crawling suddenly you know and it's like well you know I guess I can scratch this but I know there's not going to be anything there because there never is
2: yeah yeah um, I guess I could scratch, yeah. <laughs>
1: so I don't know I don't know what, you know, it, how literal to take those things, you know, because on the one hand, yeah, could there be uh the thinning of veils between this and some whatever else is there in the environment or uh is it that when you're relaxing, your brain triggers other feelings? Huh. Um, because you'll also, every now and then, you know, you'll have phantom smells or, or anything like that. Right. Uh-huh. So it may just be in some sense, you know, your brain settling or your brain, uh, reworking, um, because it's now, you know, functioning in a way it's not used to in this sort of quiet way. Right. So what happens when that happens? Huh. Um. Does it just it's, it's tweak out a little bit, and you start well, yeah, feeling that's, sensations.
2: Yeah, they talk about sensory deprivation. That you know when there's nothing there to be sensitive to. I mean, this is a, an experiment that I did a while back, which is to put white noise on an iPod for an hour and get. Uh, and here's something for you guys to try at home. <laughs> uh, go get a ping pong ball, cut it in half, wash it out really good because ping pong balls have alcohol in them. Put a little cotton in there, uh, or nothing. And then tape them to your eyes and lay in bed very quietly. Put the white noise on and stare into the whiteness of the ping pong balls. And do it as long until you see something. <laughs> and you will see something. Um, and the way that that was explained to me is your, your brain grows, uh, is so used to stimulus that at a certain point it'll make its own when it doesn't have any. And so maybe that's what we 're talking about with this. Maybe it is just a brain trying to stimulate something to gain its equilibrium, you know, and when that fails, maybe that's where more interesting things happen um, or maybe it stops, <laughs> which would be great if it all if all that just stopped and it became still again but uh, I mean something that that to me goes back to when I was uh doing a lot of studying on the occult and occult practices and all this sort of thing. Not like this is an occult practice of, of any sort. That's not what I'm implying here. But there was a consistency across Wicca and Hoodoo and Voodoo and all these things that when a practitioner began launching into this practice, when someone wanted to do this and they were unfamiliar with it and they're just learning um, these rituals and whatnot – every book I ever read on this stuff said there will be a point where you will be tested. You will be tested in such a way that, uh, whatever the figurehead of what all this is, I mean, or whatever a magical practice is invoking, uh, you will be tested to see if you have the metal to stand to stand (laughs) in it. And, um, and i've talked to people who have actually said oh yeah i was definitely i definitely went through a period of a few weeks where i felt like i was being uh truly tested not in coincidental ways not in but rather in very visual paranormal quote unquote experiences uh do you think that that this practice of meditation and 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 uh and maybe some kind of awakening of some sort of something uh, of a higher level of consciousness. Do you think that that has a period of break-in or, um, you know, testing your metal to see if you can stand for that?
1: Um, no, I, I think that's where people maybe get into trouble uh, with with kundalini is um, that there is no it testing you. <laughs> there is it opening you up. Uh, in the ways that you're closed off, however, you've abused yourself or ignored potentials. And, so
2: it's more natural than it. Yeah. Than yeah so it's it doesn't
1: not, care. I mean, it's, I it's indifferent, or okay. it's not. You know, indifferent. It's not. It doesn't have even indifference. I think it just is. It's just. It's just like you know. You you turn on. I don't know. Water fountain and and the water flows. So uh, when it does, it activates a bunch of things like uh, like the game mouse trap and. <laughs> <laughs> and you either watch it and enjoy the ride, or, or you get scared and freak out, but... Mousetrap! It, it's happening either way. I mean, you're on the roller coaster at that point.
2: Right, right. Do you recommend it?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think we have no choice. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, it, Richard uh, Miller, I think, probably would disagree with me on this, and um, but we'll see. I mean, he's going to interview me for his show next week, so I'll have my spiel ready to go, and we'll see what he says, but... Uh, I think he comes from the point of view with this that, you know, it's sort of all about getting to a happier place in life, right? Like, what's this whole push to be enlightened anyway if you already are that regardless and so on and so forth? Um, To which I go back to the butterfly analogy of, well, because the caterpillar can be as happy as it wants, but if it doesn't transform into the butterfly, it's going to die. And you only know that once you've been the butterfly. You that that you can't know that from the other perspective. So that sort of like enlightenment light, let's call it. Uh, I think maybe is his point of view because, admittedly, he hasn't had uh, sort of the giant I um, experience. Um, and it gets tricky because here it's like, well, to say you, I think he is absolutely correct that to chase after the experience or to say, I want the experience that somebody else had. I mean, that's um, inappropriate because that is going to be the thing that actually blocks out the experience. Right. Um, Right. But I don't think he meant it that way. I think he meant uh, it's irrelevant either way, because really like, why are we so serious? Why are we struggling with everything? Why not just make life a little bit happier for yourself? Oh, okay. um, but I say, having been the butterfly, that um, that he's wrong in some sense. He's right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. It's just incomplete. Okay. Um, and can't can't
2: crawl back in the cocoon.
1: <laughs> can't. Yeah. yeah. No. You not can't
2: with crawl. those wings. You ain't.
1: You know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Nor nor would you want to. Uh, right. Uh, but I almost am tempted to say that these guru types. You know, they sell you on flight. They don't sell you on you've got to do this or die, or, or the species goes extinct eventually. You know, right. like, they don't sell you on that because who that's a, who wants that. So they sell that's you. That's not on, good marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sell you on. You know, here are these wings, and right. uh, look how much fun this can be. Right. Um. And I think that you know maybe they do that because where some of them do it because they're frauds probably, but some of them do it probably because they understand that most people are not going to do that. And so why not give people this relative set of truths and this thing to better their lives so that we're not clubbing each other and going to war all the time since we're not going to uh, don the wings. Right. Um, I mean, all of it makes sense to me. I just think that we're at a point now where it's like, well, do or die time. And I could be wrong about that. It could very well be that because I've experienced it, it always is going to feel like do or die time to me. Mm. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's now that sense of responsibility, uh maybe again, maybe that's my own, I don't know, huh. um, we'll find out <laughs> it sure doesn't feel yeah. that way, <laughs>
2: yeah, well, but how uh, would I know,
1: how would I know any different so
2: right, yeah, yeah, well, I mean you're you're're you're singular individual talking about your own perspective, and there's nothing that you know there's nothing wrong with that, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the way you feel about that, um. But I do think
1: think it's necessary and I I don't know, you know, if we all die anyway, you know, physically we all die anyway. Does it matter? Well, I think, yeah. And then to articulate why is to then create religion. You know what I mean? Right. Like that gets tricky. Then it's like, well, I can give you my thoughts on why, you know, what happens when you physically die and why it's important um, either way. Uh, But – I mean, why? Why would I do Like, I won't, because it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, that. then that becomes the thing. Then that becomes, like, the goal or the thing that you say is complete bullshit. And either of those reactions are, are still not appropriate. You know what I mean? They're not going to get right. us anywhere. So,
2: Well, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, you didn't always have this. This is not, you know, in, in your life, let's just say in, in the course of your entire life from birth, this is a rather or fairly recent development. Uh, this, this awakening for you. So if this is something that you believe we all have to not strive for, but we all have to somehow get the wings um, because striving for it won't work. Right. Right. Correct. Am I right? <laughs> I got it. See you in a Twinkie. Yeah. Um, so if, if that's the case, um, then I would ask you as someone who, um, you know got the flight badge um, what has it what has it done for you in other words if uh if if you feel this level in yourself and you feel like this is something that the world could benefit from how has it benefited you on the micro level
1: uh well i mean again i i know more how about that and um and i feel more but uh. Ultimately, what I know and feel are what's possible. Um, when I stop doing what I'm doing, <laughs> okay. but ultimately I came back. Yeah, Jesus Christ, I came back. What What the fuck am I? I mean, ultimately I decided to, <laughs> you know, not be whatever to to be this to be me. Gotta be me, right? Uh, and so the repercussion, as as we discussed last week, the repercussion is that ultimately, uh, not a lot of benefit because I'm not. I'm a hypocrite, I'm not doing what I'm saying uh we should all be doing because the rub is you would ask me why did I come back, and I forgot to tell you uh one of the reasons was the fear of I don't know if I become that other thing, if I live on that other stage, if I will be able to relate to you in the same way and or so, anyone else right you know I mean, I think I will, but uh I don't know that, and so why risk it and so if you're going to try to articulate something to people, you've gotta you gotta go with what you know, right. Right. Uh, So, ultimately, no. I've I've screwed myself here Mm. until such time as I unscrew myself, (laughs) and uh, and then and then I'll let you know. And then I'll let you know what the benefits are.
2: Well, I mean, the
1: benefit is like I know shit that you can only guess at. Like, is that a benefit? I don't know. Right. Body of knowledge is that a benefit? Um, Knowing that it's psychic things are possible. Knowing for a fact. Right. You know, is that you know, knowing that chakras exist, I don't know. Is that a benefit? Uh who knows? You know, going through the motions of feeling blissed out and compassionate for the amount of time I did until I was dragged back down to reality. Um
2: uh-huh.
1: I guess just sort of seeing the possible, you know, not
2: just Seeing the greater picture. Yeah, of, seeing the possible,
1: but, but not in an imaginative way. Not like I can imagine anything, therefore it's possible. But actually knowing. seeing, yeah, knowing what there is, that there is more to us and what that is. Uh, yeah. even whether I decide to live it or not, you know? I see. And for okay. now, not, just so I can talk about it. And then I think, I mean, I honestly, <laughs> I don't know how long I'm going to be here like this. Because <laughs> as we've discussed privately, I mean, uh-huh. I've already had the flare-ups again of uh, the the stuff that precipitated the big I am experience in the first place, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: And I don't think it's. I find a lot of things that have happened lately not coincident. You know, not merely coincidental. Let's put it that way.
0: Right. Right. Know, what, right.
2: Exactly. You know. As I've told you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, here's the thing: if um, you know, uh, if you decide to walk through the purple door and never be seen again, just leave it out note. Um, <laughs> Cause I gotta have a coat. Well,
1: I'll show up. I'll be there with you know. It's like I'll whip off the hood and it'll be me, Shroud Man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jesus! Now there is a horrible thought. Hey, Jeff. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, well, I mean, you know, it, I'd ask. I'm you not Veiny. Time. I'm you. Right. right. <laughs> I am not Veiny. Uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, I had asked you, you know, what do you think that it, like, would you have died to me? Like that seems like that's what would happen. <laughs> but you say, no, you say that's not, you don't think that that's it. You don't think dying is, is it? Um,
1: no, but I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that it, I don't know that it won't be for me. <laughs> I well, to it, sound it, all macabre.
2: Well, well, well here's the so. thing. I don't
1: think it is. Ultimately, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll need I don't want to. I don't know. I don't know how Well, here, well, much I want to say well, here
2: here's a question. I mean, I and mean, here's a valid question. So you glimpsed this, and 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 since then it's it's changed your outlook. It's it's broadened your perspective and your horizon as far as what you know, you know. Um, but you, like you said, you decided to unscrew yourself from that, and. And since then, I I mean, just listening to all of the things that you've talked about, both public and private, you know, it sounds like you definitely keep your your toe in the pool uh, to a certain degree. And it doesn't sound like you could keep your toe out of it um, from my mind here. Mm -hmm. Um, So at that point, has there been any figure in the study of this stuff uh, who has – Not come back from that and has drastically changed or has, I don't know, acquired some unimaginable thing. I mean, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone do that, um, other than if you tell me somebody like Buddha or Jesus Christ or, you know, pick a deity, pick a.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you hear about. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of this is nonsense or not, but you hear about. For instance, Himalayan masters who are, you know, thousands of years old and every now and then they come out of the hills and appear to people and they look like right. they've not aged and that sort right. of thing. I mean, I don't I don't know if any of that's true. If it is, I guess that would be an example. Twitley Streber really did meet a guy, you know, in his hotel room that he calls the master of the key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would think that that would be an example. Okay. Um you know, huh. I wouldn't be surprised even if uh, Shroud Man and, and those sorts of <laughs> people are an example. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, you know, how can I know? I can't know until it happens. You know.
2: Huh. As Terrence said, if you're going to be the old man on the mountain, then go be it. <laughs> <laughs> See how you like it. <laughs> you know. Um, well,
1: I mean, I don't think you need to be that. See, once again, this is the beauty of Jiddu uh, Krishnamurti and it was if. Jesus was real, it's the beauty of Jesus and if Buddha oh. was real, it's the beauty of Buddha uh, is coming back and saying, ultimately, I'm human and so are you right uh, and that's what this is. you know this is this is so that we can um, be more whole, but being more whole doesn't mean that you physically dissolve. it means that that you're balanced um, perfectly between form and formlessness you know, formless awareness and form. And, uh, you know, what I guess sort of the driving force of what I'm saying is that you've got this, this form called the brain that projects its own sense of formless awareness called the self, Uh Um, but that's a projection of form. So it's redundancy. And so when the brain stops projecting and the movie stops, this other light (laughs) enters the projector and projects a... You know, a universal form, let's say, from its own sense of formlessness. Um, And that's, you know, that's the dichotomy. You know, I shouldn't even say that. That's not the right word. But between nothingness and thingness, formlessness, which is intelligence, inhabiting its own forms, which is us. And all things. I mean, it inhabits all things, but humans, for Mm -hmm. whatever reason, have the ability to uh, manifest the self-awareness of that formless intelligence in the way that other animals and rocks and chairs and shit, uh, can't do, you know? Okay. So it's that peculiar self-awareness of formlessness, uh, which is the so-called merging with Godhead, you know, which is what Jesus would have established or Christian or Buddha or any of those guys.
2: So, uh, can I take it that the first matrix movie meant an awful lot to you?
1: <laughs> I didn't like the matrix movie funny enough.
2: See, cause that, I hear what you're saying and it's like, that's fucking Neo. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, you are the one, you are this, you are that. And him going, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. And yet the only way that he actually becomes that is to realize none of it's real and to have this epiphany, yeah,
0: you know, and yeah, in well, the end to have this
2: know. epiphany of being killed, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and then realizing, wait a minute, I'm not dead because that's not real anyway. There's weren't real bullets. That's not really here, and so I can stand up and I can lay waste to the planet if I want to. Um, I
1: think it's interesting that, you know, Ken Wilber and Cornell West uh, did the commentary tracks for all the, the Matrix movies for the, mm-hmm. the big special edition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, probably there's something to that. I guess I didn't particularly care for the movie as a movie, so I didn't pay attention to the spiritual shenanigans as much. But, you know, probably you're right, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean I my favorite line in the movie is, you know, him sitting on the <laughs> sitting on the on the floor with what they call the potentials, you know, and the little uh little I guess he's like a, a, a little Indian kid or Hindu kid uh, you know, is sitting there with a pile of spoons in front of him all bent up and he says something like, you know, you it's it's yourself that bends. And that leads me to the you know, everything is one. Mm-hmm. You're not bending the spoon, the spoon's you, you know, until you realize there is no spoon. <laughs> You know, and this all sounds like stuff that you've talked about. And and for me, even you know, looking at the <laughs> looking at my chest of drawers and my end table, going, I am the end table, I am the chest of drawers. As stupid assed as that sounds, you know, that was at that moment in time, that was absolutely true.
1: Yeah. Well think of it yeah. this way. It's like um you have a glove and the glove is everything. <laughs> the glove is your chest of drawers, the glove is you the organism. glove is your bed, is your wife, is your son, is the person down the street. The glove is everything. And the hand that's inside the glove uh, is invisible, is a formless consciousness. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so that formless consciousness is taking the form of a glove and is is moving in the glove. Now, different aspects of the glove do different things. Um, One aspect of the glove is you and your neighbor and your wife and your kid, and those are all self-aware. So – when when you all <laughs> die inwardly, or however you want to put that, you know, uh-huh. rest, um, then the self-awareness of the invisible hand shines through you and mm. becomes your action. Um, okay. And you still exist as a flavor, but uh, you're, you're a flavor in a larger recipe. You get recontextualized into this larger self, if you want to call it that. Right. Huh. Um, and I think that's ultimately where we're either headed or not. Now, interestingly, going back to the Master of the Key, I think it was in that book that that man said um, that if we go extinct, the problem is then there's no more human form for the human souls to come back into. (laughs) So you're a ghost planet. So what do you do? You know what I mean? And that, to me, actually makes sense. I mean, uh, I don't know that that's true, that kind of makes sense. I mean, if there is such a thing as uh, reincarnation or uh, some sort of temporary way station and called heaven or something, and, and ultimately you have to sort of keep coming back until you get it right.
2: God, I hope not.
1: Yeah. What happens, <laughs> we, I know, me too, but what happens when the organism is gone? Mm. Do you have to wait till cockroaches evolve? I mean, what do you do? Mm. Uh, so I, I don't know. I found that interesting. That That's an interesting speculation, but.
2: I mean that's something that we've never um, that we've never really talked about um, on the show, but it's definitely a topic that I think we should broach. That is like you know, uh, weird past life recollections and stuff like that. I mean, I find that stuff to be interesting. Um, I don't know if I buy any of it. There was just a, a thing on the. That's right, the OWN network, All Hail Oprah, um, <laughs> uh, and I think it was on the. Uh, uh, the the man and woman who go around, she's a skeptic, he's the believer in miracles, and it's called Miracle Detectives. I haven't seen it on in a while, so I'm hoping it's not been canceled, because it actually was pretty pretty interesting it, it's in some episodes. But they actually um, met a, a young boy who was in his earlier years as a, a toddler, was literally recalling uh, being a World War II Pilot in in a in an airplane that gets shot down by airplanes that he said had a red circle on them. The sun, it looked like a sun, and I mean all of this stuff. And he named his the ship he was on, and and uh, uh, other things that I mean you just you're not picking up just off of popular media. And um, uh, and I I thought that was really f- pretty fascinating stuff. And uh, um, I don't know that they really accurately explained away his his recollections of that kind of thing. But do you, do you have any, um, or has anything, has there ever been a reoccurring thematic of a visual, um, to you that, that you, you've had like your, your whole life or most of it that you can remember that just doesn't seem to fit into any memory that you've ever had or any movie you've ever seen or anything like that. Like, do you have anything like that or, or, or I should ask, have you had any before the Kundalini thing. And now have you had any since that?
1: Like, uh, like a past life memory you're talking about?
2: Or any kind of memory that just doesn't seem to make any sense as far as, I mean, besides the, 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 the audio stuff that you had. I mean, I don't know if that would really count or whether that's really what that is, but yeah, like a, uh, like a memory that you you literally feel you see texture, color, atmosphere smells the whole bit and but yet this is not something that you've ever been a place you've never been a thing you've never experienced people you don't know anything like that
1: just as uh you know like i said when i was going through the sort of remote viewing phase or psychic visual phase whatever of seeing uh environments like that but nothing Hmm. but that's i would say that that's Specialized, you know what I mean. Like nothing growing up, nothing. I have no sense of a past life. I have no, yeah, anything like that. I mean, when I was a little kid, I used to think that I was reincarnated. Oh, really? <laughs> oddly enough, even though I had no sense of it. Yeah. I mean, huh. uh, yeah. It's it's weird to think about. I mean, I I don't know why I would. Well, I mean, I guess I would just attach to the things I maybe saw on TV and or at the movies and. Right. I mean, I think that would act them out and relate to them, you know, right. and then think that I was them.
2: Right. Right. OK. Curious. I mean, I think that's that's definitely a subject we could talk about. I mean, um, uh, maybe I with definitely Doctor I Beauty. definitely
1: was so convinced that <laughs> that uh, that that Luke and Leia were my parents and that they had <laughs> seated my mother's womb with me, uh, uh, you know, uh, to bring me here, that yeah. I had a discussion with my my mom and sister about that. I remember that. Wow. Fine day uh, as a child. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was interesting to then read that in like UFO literature, people who believe that they were seated here. Right. But, you know, again, it's, you know, you watch star Wars and your parents uh, are miserable.
2: <laughs> huh. and it's,
1: it's pretty easy to fantasize about being on another planet, you know? Who knows?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or being anywhere but there. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of very little in, in 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 you know in the shag carpet of all this stuff. There's these very fine little fibers that seem to be all connected somehow, even if they seem dumb at the time. Like, there's been a lot of really.
1: I always uh, knew the Indians were the good guys. Did you? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, isn't that weird? Like, how well, would I've
2: you know had that a, as a kid? I've I've always always had an extreme affinity for that. Yeah.
1: I mean, how would you know that as a kid? You're supposed to identify with the white guy on the horse mm. protecting his land mm. and as a little little kid you don't know anything about territory and what did who did what to whom and and right. all that but i just i always knew no no no, no. the indians are the good guys <laughs> they're the ones getting screwed here yeah i mean and it would make me emotional like it would make me it would make me a little bit teary you know
2: well i get um to watch i mean movies. i i don't i don't think i've ever talked about it on anything but i uh I actually had a job in uh, Arizona that I had to to drive to, and a um, uh, hell of a drive, but a great drive. And um, I'm going to be doing it again this October with uh, the wife and the son uh, because I want them to to experience that. But um, you know, I have no other way to put it other than uh, when I went out there and I um, met. Native American people from, uh, well, from Texas straight through through Arizona. I just, uh, I lost my heart out there. I mean, I don't like where I live. I like my house. I'm happy for my house. I'm grateful for my house. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But after going out there, it's too late. It, um, I'm forever poisoned um, by that. And I had... Uh, An experience out there that did not have anything to do with the paranormal that literally changed my entire outlook on at least the the, the geological place on which I plant my ass on this planet. And it was in New Mexico. Um, uh, There was a – we were uh, staying in Motel 6s literally across the country because we were doing – it was a work job. So no fancy hotels. Motel 6, pull in, go to bed. Turn in about nine, get up at seven and drive till seven at night, and then turn in again. And we did that for three days until we got uh, to Phoenix. And um we got to um we got to New Mexico and the the Motel Six was on this vista that was um well it was fairly dark when i got there but there was a good moon out and so you could see just how vast this area was and it was unbelievably beautiful and i went out um my friend joe had fallen asleep and i went out um of the hotel and i went down to the ice machine got a bucket of ice and i heard um i heard coyotes i mean like and it was like um it was like a western movie (laughs) It was like is that a sound effect that they're just playing over the loudspeakers because that's really neat no that was really them and it sounds just like what you think they sound like and I was just uh, amazed by it and so I walked to to the end of the you know I walked to the end of the building holding an ice bucket like a moron and I just stood there listening to him for uh, 15 minutes and um uh, I sat down by the front of my truck, which was in the parking lot, and I just listened to them and I was just watching and trying to figure out how I'm outside. Um, and it's that quiet. <laughs> you know, I mean, here in Maryland, something's always blowing um, or running water. I mean, I live two blocks from the water now. Um, you always hear something out there, it was just them. It was just these coyotes, I suppose, is what they were, and howling and running. And um, and then I see this, I don't know, like a, a light-colored form coming up the hill. And I'm like, who's that? So I stood up and I was like getting ready to say something when I see that it is a very large-looking dog, <laughs> which I assume was a coyote or maybe a wolf. I don't know. Um, and – uh it saw me and it walked uh, to my right and never took its eyes off me, nor did I on it. And, and I, I did actually think about making a break for it because <laughs> I didn't know it was going to bite me or something. I mean, I don't know. Um, and instead, it walked up, I would say, um, I'm sitting at the computer and it would have been as, about as close as the wall. So maybe nine, ten feet away from me and it just stared at me. Um, didn't make a sound, didn't move, and I just stared at it. And it stared back at me. And um, I actually thought it was going to come up to me. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I just kind of, I put my, the palm of my, or the, the back of my hand out. And it kind of, I don't know, kind of, uh, it made a noise, like a type of sound, and it ran down over the hill again. Uh, That was like the whole trip, man. (laughs) That was worth, you know, all those drives to get out there to do that, you know, to to see that place. And I saw the Grand Canyon, the Painted Desert, all these beautiful places. But that experience, like, literally changed my life. And that's why he is now tattooed on my left arm, (laughs) you know, because I'm never going to forget that. And that was like, um, uh, I think, a, a day I think it was a day between that and talking to, uh, an Indian on, on one of the reservations that we went through. And I, I told him about that and he said, well, that's, you know, um, (laughs) it was some kind of, of, um, of, of sign of something. And I, I don't even totally remember what he, what he made of that, but it was, uh, you know, you're, you're going to live here. You're going to be here. Um, it's a sign from the land or something like that. And, and, um, uh, and so henceforth, my son's name is Dakota. And, and that's because that's what this Indian had told me. He says, you're going to have a son and his, that's what you're going to name him. That's where his name came from. <laughs> um, cause originally his name was supposed to be Joshua. <laughs> I came up and said, honey, if we have a kid, it's uh, Dakota. And sure enough, that's what happened. um, so that whole trip like completely changed my life, and um, uh, you know, I, I, you know, there's there's just there's experiences like that that I just can't. Um, they're not paranormal by any stretch, do I think, or anything like that. But it's just um, there's something about that. There's something about that whole land, the people that are there, um, and the Native American people that just uh, you know is. Um, uh, is all inspiring to me, and always has been. Like throughout my whole life, even as even as a kid, it was that way. Um, so uh, I, I don't think that's indicative of any kind of past life thing or, or anything like that. I, I I don't know what that means, but um, um, I I have had a memory of uh something wholly different, um, that I can't explain, and I don't know. Um, where this would have come from but it's very easy for me to say um, excuse me that I I saw this on TV or something like that as a very young child or maybe even excuse me, a toddler Uh, and this became some kind of ingrained thing, I mean it's easy to dismiss this kind of stuff but um, I have uh, what feels like a memory of uh, standing under um, a street lamp uh it's buzzing. It's got a noise to it. If it's a buzz or some kind of like a hissing, it's got a noise to it. It's a hiss or a buzz. And um someone is standing to my right. Uh the stones are, are underneath my feet. It's a road. I'm definitely in a road. Uh there are definitely horses, but there's also uh cars that I can hear. And um it's cobblestone and, and uh it's raining, not heavily just misting it's everything's damp it's very damp and it's slightly cold and someone walks up to me and uh, shoots me in the stomach with a gun uh, over and over I remember the weird part about it is the feeling of not falling backwards like I didn't fall backwards I fell forwards like literally into the, the gunshots I fell in forward to it and then that's all I got that's all I remember and I've had that memory since since I was real little and I have no idea where something like that would have come from, but it is extraordinarily uh, visceral. I can remember the way my stomach felt. It it didn't hurt. It burned. You know, it was like uh, being stuck with a hot poker out of the fire, like over and over. And then, like uh, just a weakness, like um, I don't know, like a feeling of not having legs anymore. And then just you know, just falling. And it all takes on like this dreamlike. At a certain point, when you're falling, it just takes this this dream-like quality like you're just going. And so I don't know what that is, and I don't know where that comes from. But certainly anyone could blow that off. But I've had that memory since before kindergarten, and I know I probably talked to my mom about that at one point in time or another. So I don't know what that is, but uh, I'm certainly not going to go under hypnosis to find a past life. (laughs) Yeah. That I won't be doing.
1: We talked a little bit about past lives. Uh, yeah. And it was just sort of like his take, which I kind of agree with is like, um, who cares? Like, just, you know, why be controlled by it? Why? Oh I mean, yeah. If the point I agree. Is to get rid of thought and, and, to end the past, you know, so the psychological past. Then, you know, it's time to do away with these things, not sort of dredge them up and be fascinated by them and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting yeah. take. Um, but I just, I want to, I guess, say one thing in case anyone's wondering why it would matter if our form went on, you know, or we went extinct or whatever, if mm-hmm. in fact everything is one thing, you okay. know, it's one energy, then what does it matter about these separate selves and all that? Um, which I think gets to sort of what we were talking about in the interview. Like the thing that, that these enlightened people get wrong again, a lot of the time, uh, at least in the past they have and not so much now, um, is that when they see this broader, bigger thing, they they say, oh, let's go for that and abandon what we've got. And it's like, no, holism is the answer. The answer is proper proportion of all things. Um, And so you have to honor the physical, right? Just like you have Mm -hmm. to honor the non-physical. And all things want to exist, right? So even if at the end of the day, all of these separate entities are an illusion, Right, mm-hmm. and they're all being projected by the one thing. well, the illusion is a necessary illusion. The illusion is always going to be there because that formless consciousness has to be something uh it that's it, It's just the definition of it. It has to manifest. it's not really an invisible intelligence inside of a glove; it is also the glove, like both of those things are one thing um but within that one thing exist all of the separate things. You know, all the separate things are enfolded in the one uh, consciousness and all of those separate things want to live and exist and be. And of course they have no choice, right? (laughs) But to want that, I mean, there's a life drive. You want to live. Mm -hmm. And so getting back to our conversation, you know, Rich Miller conversation, um, there is nothing wrong with just wanting to be happy and just wanting to be uh, a whole self. You know, a whole ego self.
2: A piece. Mm-hmm. A
1: piece, a whole, yeah, a whole shard <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that lives a fulfilling life. But the problem is, again, if you live in denial of the fact that, no, 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 actually there is something that transcends and includes that, mm-hmm. then there ain't going to be no species left to enjoy being a self um, because it doesn't work that way. And as proof. <laughs> It's not working that way. You know, you can only have that sort of happiness for a little while and then things get miserable and it's, you know, back and forth on the pendulum we swing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, we've got these weapons and we've got uh, this environment going – got the environment going haywire and we've got weapons that we can kill ourselves with. So you take a look at this stuff and you go, okay, well, clearly there's something in terms of us that is still neurotic –
2: Inherently out of balance, yeah, out of
1: balance, and so, and so, an out of balance species, yeah, can't exist for uh, for very long. Um, so I mean, at least enough people have to make it <laughs> so that the entire continuum can go on. I don't know, you know, something hmm. along those lines. I feel is uh, is true, and then and then you can see what's what. I mean, I, I don't know. It just always seems like it, it seems odd to me. Because he does have a good handle on all of this, the stuff that we talked about, you know, and in some places, I think he has a better handle on specifics of religion and spirituality than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you don't have the bigger picture experience, then how easy is it to say, "Well, the the bigger picture experience doesn't matter"? Uh, and even though it's true, you can't strive for it and shouldn't strive for it, and that's been our problem. Uh, all along, is this striving. um,
2: But for the wrong stuff.
1: Well, yeah. uh, Striving, period.
2: Uh, Uh, Right, okay, I see what you're saying, yeah. Let me just ask this, because this is kind of like the Jacques Vallée $10 million question. Uh, If everyone would go through the giving up process, the realization of the more, um, which would put them in a whole other state of whatever, and we, we're not exactly sure what that would be yet, right? Correct? Uh-huh. Uh, it would just be a more. But there is an inherent give up. Uh, that's a recurring thematic throughout everything we've talked about for you in this, this experience. Um, so if that happens, just say, let's, let's use a hypothetical situation. On 2012, some kind of galactic control center turns off, and all of a sudden we're all awakened to this at the same time. Who's going to take out the garbage?
1: Well, I don't think those questions uh, apply anymore.
2: There would be no garbage. There
1: would be no garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we would be something else. Okay. There would be no garbage people. I see. Who knows if there would even be waste? I don't know.
2: I see. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Well, you so we're forward to that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. It sure would. Yeah. I mean, I would prefer to live in a world where. We all walk around naked in the wilderness, I mean um in which case you keep yourself in new york um but <laughs> um you know i mean that would be a a, a you know uh, paradise like existence, which would be great um all, all this stuff is 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 fascinating to me i just i don't um it's not that it doesn't interest me it's just i don't i can't i i have a hard time getting my head around it i have a, i have a better handle on it. As time goes on but I still don't quite – I still don't quite get it. Like well, It
1: is hard to get your head around and, and part of the problem, which I brought up at the end of the interview, is that eventually you hit this wall and the wall is you need to assume the per- first person identity of the unknowable. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what that experience was for me, right? Uh, and so describing it, as he said, making objects out of these things, making nouns out of things that need to be verbs – Mm -hmm. is the problem. Uh, You can only describe this so much and then it it becomes a problem. It becomes a disorder because the description only brings you that far and then you have to actually be it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it makes sense. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and then that's the aha moment, right? That's the aha moment when it makes sense. It cannot make complete sense rationally. Uh, Rationality is an anchor. This is why, again, this gets back to my problem with the New Age, which is, There's no rational anchor in a lot of it, um, or at least there doesn't need to be. Um, But for something to be whole, right, it's got to contain all of what's real. Part of what's real is logic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so there has to be a logical component. But again, that logical – just because you can explain something rationally and it will make total sense doesn't bring you there because that's only a piece of the puzzle. Mm. And uh, the whole of it needs to be experienced as a verb, not as a noun.
0: Hmm.
2: Well, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. Um. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. You want my honest? Here's my honest thing, and um, and certainly don't mean to offend you or anyone else by saying this. Who's who's had this experience? Because I think it's great. I think it's interesting. But my problem is, is that I would look at this and go, "Okay, um, I will let go. I will, I will not try to have this experience, but I will." realize certain things and i will try to have this experience or i will just give up put it that way i will just give up um my concern with that would be well after i have that and after that something like that would happen to me um how then would i feel about daily life how would i feel about having to go to work and support a family and all of the you know the trappings that this world has uh demanded of you It just seems like one of those kind of things where I look at this and I go, well, when everyone does it, then I'll do it. Because what's the point of my singularity doing it? (laughs) (laughs) This is what comes to my mind. I'm just being forthright and honest with you. And I think
1: that's where Terrence McKenna is actually wrong. I don't think mm -hmm. that you become the guy and the crazy guy on the hill. mm -hmm. I think that it actually it's, it's antithetical to what you think would happen. Just like when you asked me, you know, gee, did it make, did it suck essentially to come back? Right. It's like no, what sucked? I had more compassion, I had more understanding. What sucked was getting farther and farther away from that. Uh so I think
2: and that, and you got farther away from that because just because the world intrudes into that?
1: No, because I allowed myself to because uh my friend was like, "Hey, you got to look at this." And I was like, "Okay." Oh, I see. against my better judgment.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: Uh I'll look at this political thing and then it was like, Ugh, now I have to care." Um,
2: I see okay. but
1: but so I think I think yeah I understand what you're saying like of course like do you come back and then how do you uh, yeah how do you raise a family how do you go to your job and all that stuff and the fact is it's completely easier because none of it matters because you're not attached to the anger mm. of the job and all that it becomes this facade I mean and it again if you want an analogy in this I mean it's it's in your movies you're Yoda you're Mr. Oh. Miyagi you're that character who's hiding as a normal person uh, and it's not that that you're fake it's completely real just as real as anything else but you know that none of it's real so it doesn't matter you know there's no attachment you you can be a janitor just as easily as you can be president it doesn't matter anymore so all that you know mattering stuff goes away all that all that awful burden of attachment the stress goes away
2: i mean at that point do you um i mean if you've if you're working at you know like You know, I'm a commercial designer. So do I go to work and then go, oh, this again? Or do I just go, yeah, this is fun. I'll do this. No, you go,
1: go, uh, I'll do uh, the best job uh, that I can do.
2: So you you still, you will still have that passion of doing that.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if you just think of like the fact that like I don't get bored. (laughs) I used to always be bored, you know? You don't. And, uh, you know, people call me and they're like, oh God, I'm so bored. It's like, no, I never get bored. I haven't gotten bored since this happened, and it's because I'm completely content to be quiet, to just sit mm. and do nothing. I could be in solitary confinement, I'm telling you. <laughs> this, is, this is my dream is to go to jail and be in solitary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow.
1: Uh, because you're content. Because the, I think the, the boredom is like racing around trying to do stuff and fill yourself, and you're trying to fill yourself. You mm. know, These are all like minor ways of not dealing with this issue. And I think once you have the, the fulfilling uh, experience, it's like, oh, I get it, you know. Hmm. Um, again, it's the ending of Lost. <laughs> it's the ending of Lost. It's like once you've woken up into the dream, well, then you keep doing your job and, and you keep trying to reach the other people and tell them to wake up too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you're not attached to anything you're doing because at that point, you know, you've got a real job and that real job isn't your occupation.
2: <laughs> mm. okay okay so i wouldn't be losing anything i wouldn't be losing the you know i would take it that maybe the creative drive would probably ramp up i'm just guessing i don't know this by any stretch but i would think that you know a creative endeavor would probably ramp up through the ceiling with an experience like that um yeah
1: maybe i
2: don't uh, know i
1: mean think about it. i mean
2: that's my life you I have I, you had know. this
1: experience in a way i mean at least this part of it, which is having that fear taken from you by the guy in the Shroud. Mm-hmm. And you were completely blissed out and not fearful and everything was great and kumbaya. Yeah, and then the further good. you got away from that experience and the more life crept back in, that's yeah. when stuff started to suck again.
2: Yeah, That is true. <laughs> that is true, yeah. yeah.
1: But the difference is that uh, with this... It wasn't like life crept back in, it was like I literally had a conversation with my friend Rob where he said I, I think I pretty much told him about my state of mind <laughs> and he was like, No, you have to deal with this, you know, no, this is important. It's time to be attached again, you know.
2: So he reevaluated importance.
1: Yeah. You know. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like just life naturally crept back in. It wasn't like when I had like um you know, when I was in high school or whatever it was, middle school, high school, whatever it was, and I read that power for living prayer, and then I felt absolved of everything, and then over the next couple of weeks I felt normal again. Uh-huh. It wasn't like that. This wasn't like I never went back to normal gradually by nature. It was like I forced myself to leave uh this headspace that felt fucking more natural and good than this. Okay. Uh, because, maybe because I didn't, well, I couldn't. I couldn't deal with the realities of this on, on that level if I was going to, at least, the you know, the political stuff. Hmm. And I don't know that that wasn't a mistake, you know? I mean, maybe it was. Maybe none of this shit mattered. <laughs> what did huh. I do? Dear God, man, what did I do? Right,
2: right. Well, I mean... I certainly have said to you many times, and I think, you know, certainly bear stating again that I think a lot of the, uh, I feel like in a lot of ways this is every person who has anomalous experiences at one time or another, like you become some kind of a uh, of, uh, beacon of some sort. And then perhaps that that's why, I mean, you certainly had some odd experiences before all of this happened before you went down this path that changed your, your life. Um, But certainly afterwards there was uh, a whole lot more bushel baskets, I would say more than before. And so do you think that uh, you awakening into this state and all of that, do you think there was uh, external presences or an external presence watching that? And that may be why um, that you have had Uh, certain quote-unquote alien experiences.
1: Well, I guess... Maybe that's
2: attracted them, I should say.
1: How do we define external... I mean, if everything is enfolded in this oneness, then there are no external beings. But, I mean, if, you know... I I get what you're saying.
2: (laughs) That that noted. noted, I get what you're saying. (laughs) Well, no, but here's the thing. What if the oneness... What if the oneness isn't... What if there is something outside of that oneness? What if, you know... I mean, maybe that's impossible to conceive for somebody, like for you, to conceive that knowing what you know and experiencing what you have. That's just, that's not that's not a possibility, or is it? Do you think that there is a possibility for there to be something outside the one?
1: No, it would be another illusion. It would be you know another f- fake subdivision. Okay. I mean, really, out of the one. I mean, we're talking about out of the none, out of the emptiness, out of mm-hmm. formless intelligence. I mean, I like formless intelligence. I just think that makes more sense, but. Mm-hmm once you say that you take away all things and then there's this nothing and that nothing is intelligence and that intelligence is creating all things, then you're right back to, Mm -hmm. you know, everything existing within. Mm. Um, And so it can create, it can create a subdivision, you know, maybe there, you know, there, I think it it could be Hindu. I can't remember, but the, the theory that um, the universe is waking up because the universe is alive and that once the universe becomes self-aware as one, Then it will, um, sort of, be its own entity, and Mm. there are multiple universes, and they're all, you know, gods creating partners, kind of essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, But and I think that that could be true on the level that it's true, but ultimately it's still another illusion. But this word "illusion" doesn't mean that things aren't real. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. they don't exist. Again, the wall is an illusion, but the wall is still there, and you're going to walk into it. All right. Um, So the illusion is a necessary illusion. It has to. There is no other. No, there is no choice. I mean, if you're asking, is there a choice? Um, no. <laughs> mm. I don't think there is a choice for something outside of that definition. Uh, I think all choice exists in that definition. I think um, free will exists through us. I think that's what we are. Mm. The free will choice to step away from it.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, and the Christians would call that original sin. Or the Jude- ah. the Jews, maybe. Okay. The Judeo-Christians. Um Ever but what do I know? I mean, and then you know, you start talking about this forever and you start or at least I start to feel like a douche. So <laughs> I think I think <laughs> here endeth my my talk.
2: Yeah. Um <laughs> Well, I mean, I would be curious to ponder in that frame set that you've got, like what's on the UFO iconoclasts uh website right now, which is the mystery of aliens and um you know, everything from the ancient astronaut theorists to um, uh, how the alien is seen today, or the visitors are seen today, um, you, you hear about the, you know the visitors mated with human beings in Genesis and that sort of thing, and uh, they appear in Greek myths as gods, and per, you know the, the alliances with humans produced Greek heroes like Achilles and so on and so forth, and and Merlin, he's got listed here, you know the great wizard of Arthurian legends, was said to have been fathered by an incubus. Mm -hmm. Um, and then fast forward 1950 flying saucer saucer occupants as reported by observers, small, grotesque, bizarre creatures akin to like little people of folklore in uh, Great Britain, um, all the way through Betty of Barney Hill. And now today where we've got these weird ass looking black eyed, um, tan or white, uh, whatever, you know, pick your poison there and and so you know the difference he says here to quote, to quote him it says the difference lies in how the visitors appeared not how and they acted but what they looked like and so going from your framework of everything being one and um and and you know none of this is real and it's all a, you know the the perception of or the manifestation of so in your perspective from your opinion and your perspective only i'm not asking you to set anything in stone here but how would you interpret that Visualization of the alien throughout history, and how would that apply to the oneness and all of that? Like, can you make some kind of um, uh, formula for that 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 makes sense in that framework that you've got?
1: Um, well, I mean, I didn't. I guess I didn't really answer your your first question, and it's tied to this question, which is that I feel like there were people there or something. Do I feel like there's something there? And the answer to that is yes. And so the answer to Second question, which is what that, that how do you account for this alien form or this whatever is form throughout history? Right. Well, I I don't know. I mean, is it? You don't mean the physical form? I mean, the physical form hasn't been described throughout history, has it?
2: Well, I, I mean, well, essentially the 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 human perception of the alien of the other. You know, I mean, we've talked about all this before. The the fairies to the you know on and on right, right, right. um i mean you know in in looking at things being all oneness and and things being connected well this is and, see
1: this gets into like why i never had the i don't have the hang up that you do about saying the word alien um in terms of another planet i have the same exact hang up you have in terms of what we perceive as you know people just like us from another you know world mm-hmm. um in and, and that sort of trying to create Americans out of them. <laughs> right. Sense. right. Uh, but I, I think that in, in my framework, work, uh, it doesn't matter what universe you're from. There is the w- w- one waking oneself up I and mean, you're waking up to oneness. And so that oneness transcends um, all organisms. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter which planet an organism is from or which universe an organism is from. Uh, they're all going to wake up to the same thing. And so, Um, you know, it could just as easily be, uh, aliens at my bedside as it could people, humans, I think Mm. at that point. Um, I I don't know. I kind of think there are two separate questions in a way, because then the other one is, is there something that's less than that? That is, uh, like a, a a species, you know, a crypto terrestrial or a, a fairy species or something that lives alongside us that isn't, hasn't achieved that. Mm. that is like mating with us at some certain points or fucking with us or, or whatever. Mm. Uh, I think that that's possible, you know? Uh, But ultimately I think, um, you know, everything has this, everything that can wake up, everything that has the capacity, the brain capacity or whatever to wake up to this, uh, you know, oneness sense of self or God sense of self achieves the same state. Mm. Uh, So I think ultimately the butterflies um, aren't just human. <laughs> the butterflies mm. are from all over.
0: Mm. Hmm.
2: So do you think that that could uh, tie into Whitley's statement that um, I, I paraphrased and you found so amusing about the dog uh, not being able to look in our eyes because essentially we know something they don't and they sense that and therefore they have to look away. And is that why we look at an alien and have to look away because – maybe they are, maybe they have walked through the purple door.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think so. And I think that gets right back into, I am you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm not which I am you, or you're feeling that this guy is somehow intimately connected to you. I mean, Mm -hmm. in a way it is, it's like, it's both because again, at the butterfly level, you're talking about non-locality at that point, you're talking about, uh, the physical having to be here in this brain, in this body. Um, you can also be everywhere else at the same time. <laughs> so let, let's extrapolate that out a little bit. Uh, could you also be other people at the same time?
0: Mm. You know what
1: I mean? Could it just be a bunch of flavors on one tongue, you know, mm. in a sense? I mean, so that this guy is his own person, but he's also you. And you can't recognize that, but he can. But the mm. second you become a butterfly, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then whoever you talk to, it's not he's specifically you, but whoever you talk to is is gonna is gonna have that feeling oh this this jeff guy he's he's me. I get this uh, weird sense he's me, well, okay. of course, because the state that he lives in is is our birthright. It's just we're not there yet
2: hmm. wow, it's all very interesting, but we've run out of time
1: <laughs> well, peritopia. <laughs>
2: It's it's fascinating stuff. I mean, and you're right. You could go on for hours upon end. I mean, it's it's um, extraordinarily deep thinking stuff, and it's a lot to ponder. So, uh, my belly's full, <laughs> even though I missed the interview.
1: Oh, good, good.
2: <laughs> you know, that was a uh, pretty wild stuff, um, and a lot to think about, actually. Uh, so next week, uh, you're going to get full again. Uh because we have Mr. Uh, Bruce Denzig coming on the show next
0: dun, week. Dun, dun. Very good.
2: And um and, and Bruce uh, is gonna talk to us about human consciousness and um and maybe maybe we'll try and get him into a little bit of uh how human consciousness per you know perceives the paranormal events, so on and so forth, all of that. I just want so to uh,
1: completely you know. disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all crap, and
2: here's why. <laughs> uh, he's a you know I've I've you know read bits and pieces of his blog here and there, and I've always found it really interesting. But I don't know where he stands on a lot of things, and that's that's why I asked him because I I've always wanted to know more, and and I think he's got uh, quite a lot to talk about. So um, we'll be recording that next week, and that'll be the show for uh, Friday. So everybody uh, look forward to that. Um, anything else? Uh, Paratopia Magazine, available at www.paratopia.net for the low, low price of only $2.50 for the whole issue.
1: <laughs> That's right. And I beat my ass
2: on this thing, people. Please.
1: Subscribers get it for free. So That's right. Subscribe now if you're buying this episode as a singlet or a sniglet. I, I don't know. It's not a sniglet. All right. Whatever. But a, but a single. <laughs> what, whatever. Right. Just buy our crap, will you? We spent a lot of time on it. <laughs>
2: I worked really hard. <laughs> I mean, really hard. And let me tell you what—I actually broke capillaries in my eyes because I was at work, and my eyes began to bleed. Are you serious? That's right. Yes. Wow. Yes, I had such incredible eye strain that yes, I actually started to weep. What were uh, you
1: doing? That created such eye strain.
2: I was actually doing uh, my uh, my article. I was um, doing the airplane work and some of it was very small and very small compositing and um even when you use zoom it's back and forth back and forth zooming in zooming out stepping back and looking and it just and I work on a uh, what a 56 or 8 inch monitor so which by the way sits about as far away as my monitor to home sits from me which is about 2 feet so um there's a lot of eye strain but um uh i i I'm very happy with how it came out and and all the subscribers seem to love it and that's that's uh that's great I, it's that makes it all worth it for me i would like to um I would like to see um more single episodes or single issues of it um get out there so f- subscribers and other listeners if you know people who would enjoy it recommend it to them and um and see what they think because we got some even bigger plans. Coming for both the show and the magazine for the next quarterly, and hopefully, hopefully, um, a brand new facet of the show, which you guys will love, is coming probably within a week or two, and we'll be announcing that probably on next week's show. So, I'm I'm pretty pretty stoked about that, and I know Jeremy is too. Right, chair, stoked, year? woo, yes. And this will be something for everyone, not just subscribers. So yes. um, there's a plus. Anyway, Jeremy, great interview. Uh, <laughs> as always, <laughs> flying you. solo is, uh, is always a good thing for you, uh, never a good thing for me. <laughs> and, um, and I appreciate you picking up the slack while I was stuck in traffic and uh, powerless.
1: Sure. Well, I'm sure everyone can hear all this rain going on behind me. So,
2: uh, uh, It's finally made its way up to you. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Have fun. I look
1: look forward to it.
2: Sweet dreams.
1: (laughs) Goodbye, Jeff. Goodbye. Did we say goodbye? Very good.
2: Bye.